Bring it in. We are back. The read option back. Scotty Miller, Jeff Kimball here on the read option. Got a ton of football to get into. An awesome, awesome weekend in college football. Conference championship weekend did not disappoint. We were inches away from arguably the hardest decision the college football playoff committee would have ever had to make. And Oklahoma State came up just a bit short. We have more. College. Yard. <laughs> yeah, not even a yard. We're, t- we're talking inches, <laughs> Scotty. We're like literally inches. It made the the Tennessee and, and St. Louis Rams Super Bowl ending look like nothing. That's how close this was. I mean, the pylon cam picture alone was unbelievable. Uh, we have I thought we were done talking about major college football coaching changes, but not this year and a year that I thought was going to be relatively dormant. We have seen utter chaos break out and it all starts similar to the realignment conversation. It all starts with Oklahoma at the top and Lincoln Riley leaving for USC and the trickle down that has now created, I mean, so many big time programs, major brands in college football. And now the university of Oregon will be looking for their new head coach as Mario Cristobal is heading to Miami. So before we get into the NFL action yesterday, which was a really good weekend, I said to you before we started recording, it felt like the first normal weekend we've had in a while where the teams you expect to win for the most part won, uh, and, and we'll see how the Monday night game unfolds here tonight. You and I both have the Patriots here covering their, their two and a half. So basically a Patriots win, we're golden, uh, which I think we both believe is going to happen since we both picked them. But as a whole, the NFL weekend was about expected, including the Vikings once again playing down to their competition. The Detroit Lions getting their first win of the season. We'll get into all of that stuff, but I do want to start with Manny Diaz being fired from the University of Miami and Mario Cristobal leaving Oregon to go to the school that he played at, uh, that he has called home for a large part of his life. And then I think for a long time, it had been speculated that like, look, Manny Diaz, or sorry, that Mario Cristobal would want to come home at some point. And I never thought he would leave Oregon who have the number one facilities in the country, uh, unlimited bankroll when you consider Phil Knight and the Nike connection and how much is being poured into that program and the pathway to the playoff being as easy as it is in the Pac-12, even with Lincoln Riley going there, it's going to take him a couple of years to build. I didn't think there was anything that Miami would be able to do, especially with their track record of not paying, not investing into their athletic programs. Uh, They're now paying an $8 million buyout for Manny Diaz. They're paying another $8 million buyout for Mario Cristobal to leave Oregon. And they're going to be paying Mario Cristobal $8.8 million a year, 10-year contract, nine, just about $90 million. And uh, it is being reported that new athletic director, Dan Radakovich, who, if you don't know that name, he is, was the athletic director at Clemson. And just within the last week since we last recorded a pod, Scotty, He left Clemson to become the new AD at Miami, and it seems as though for the first time the U is taking their athletics seriously. Uh, If you've ever watched the the U 30 for 30s, you know, in the the past, the academic side of it was always valued more than the athletics, and it feels as though now that maybe the tide's starting to turn. Maybe 
losing season, losing coach after losing season and losing coach has made them believe a little bit. I do feel bad for Manny Diaz. I think the way that this all was public, he was out recruiting while they were in active conversation with Mario Cristobal for this contract. So uh, I've laid out basically all of the groundwork here and, and I just kind of want your reaction to it now that we've kind of seen all this play out and, and we got another opening at Oregon and just crazy carousel keeps on spinning in college football coaches. Yeah, that's why I, I didn't think I didn't have Mario Cristobal leaving. Uh, and it's always a dangerous game, uh, particularly to go back to your alma mater, because now the state look at what Scott Frost is doing in Nebraska. Right. The stakes are so high for a program that you played at that, you now have to go in and and recruit and develop and, and bring that program back to prominence. And that's a big ask uh, for for a program like Miami, uh, because their level of uh, or their bar is set so high that it's uh, it's going to be hard to attain. And if he does, I mean, good for him. And, and the ACC is a good spot to do that, I think. Um, we'll see what happens with Notre Dame. Uh, we can get into that a little bit when we talk college football, because I think Notre Dame might be in if they were in a conference championship game uh, this weekend. So, um, But, hey, for Cristobal, I mean – to go back to, to the place you love, like, like if I were any good at football coaching and Penn state offered me a job, I wouldn't even think twice. Right. Cause yeah. that's, that's the place, you know, it's a place you love. So good for him. Um, tough to leave that situation in Oregon. I don't know what they're going to do uh, because they were not only on the come up, but they have a, an easier uh, path to the college football playoff. Uh, like you said, even with Lincoln Riley there. So interesting. Um, I think it's, I don't think it's just a name, though, you know, that they're signing to come to Miami. I think this is a legitimate, legitimately good coaching move uh, to bring in Mario Cristobal based on uh, on what he's done. So uh, we'll see. Um, but it, it does look like they're making a commitment. Um, I think one of the other things I saw is that uh, one of their their billionaire, I forget his name, uh, Ruiz, maybe might have been his last name, John Ruiz. Um He's a he's a billionaire, but he's one of the big Miami boosters. is is uh, looking to invest in building a stadium in Coral Gables, um, on so, campus. Yeah, yeah, um, it'll be right so on we'll the Coral see. Gables, the old Coral Gables High School. Um, now, I, I think so. I, I want to preface this by saying I like Mario Cristobal. He when he took over at Oregon after Willie Taggart, who took over for Mark Helfrich, who took over for Chip Kelly, right? So it was Chip Kelly. He leaves for the Eagles job. And Mark Helfrich gets promoted. And he took Oregon back to the college football playoff. Uh, he, he did a really, really good job. Really, He was the offensive coordinator with Chip, kind of ran a, an extended version of the same program. But, you know, when, when you cut the head off of a snake, you know, it might slither around for a little bit or, you know, chicken, say whatever animal you want to use. They might run around for a little bit, but eventually it's kind of going to fall over and die. And that's a little bit of what happened with Mark Helfridge at Oregon. And then they brought in Willie Taggart, who, uh, as we all saw, the, the job he did at Florida State is not a good head football coach. He is not a guy who ever really took it seriously. I remember him calling in uh, to, to when he was the head coach at Florida State to do a radio hit with us. And he was literally somewhere in the Mediterranean. I want to say it was like Greece. And he was on a beach. And I'm not going to say he was drunk. Because that would have been that's an I, I'm not going to say that I don't know for sure, huh? but the guy was enjoying himself on vacation in the middle of the day out in the Mediterranean. It seems like he maybe had a pop or two in him. 
he just was he he loved the money he loved the lifestyle and look with his buyouts he's made over 30 million dollars in buyouts so willie tiger comes out and then you bring in mario cristobal who had to basically kind of rebuild something and by the way his style of building teams is completely different than what Oregon had been used to with Mar- Marcus Mariota and Chip Kelly and Mark Alfridge, which was, yeah, was you know, skill guys, yeah. pace and space, baby. You know what I mean? They yeah. will spread them out and we're going to be quick and I'm going to track every uh, hydration levels and what you eat and I'm cutting edge of all this shit, right? All the Chip Kelly stuff. And Mark Crispell's like, no, I'm going to go get big uglies. I'm going to load the line of scrimmage and we're going to play. And, and basically to the point where we see Justin Herbert and how unbelievable he's been in the NFL and the talent there and to think, Wow, when you look at his senior year numbers, like they didn't let him do anything at Oregon because it wasn't the type of offense that Mario Cristobal wanted to run. So, with all that being said, and credit to Mario Cristobal for being able to build Oregon back into a consistent top 15, top 20 team, did Mario Cristobal kind of underachieve at Oregon? I mean, think about the teams hmm. in the Pac 12 while he was there. Right. You had Utah that one year who was a win away from going to the, the college football playoff and they lost, right. I believe, to Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. Uh, he's had moments where you're like, oh, this is it. They're there. They're good. They're two. But the Ohio there wasn't State game this year, the Ohio State game this year. Exactly. <laughs> but then you have the Stanford loss, which I've excused. Joe Moorhead, you know, misses, you know, that game. And, and but then these two losses to Utah. I mean, they got worked in on Friday night in the Pac-12 yeah. championship game, and they got worked even worse a couple weeks ago when they played. I believe the combined those two games in a matter of less than a month that they were played, they lost Oregon seventy-four to seventeen. Hmm. Two games that doesn't sound same, very Oregon. Same, same opponent, and I get you want to excuse Utah. Utah, you know, Salt Lake City. It's a tough place to play. Nippet Stadium. It's a tough place to play. Uh, but that team at Oregon should be good enough to at least not get blown out that bad again, neutral site field in Las Vegas, and they got absolutely shit-pumped for a second time. Utah, obviously playing with a lot of emotion, have gone through a lot this year, but everyone's kind of penciled Mario Cristobal in is, uh, he does it the Saban way. He's a he's an Alabama disciple. He's a, mm-hmm. a and he is a really good head coach. I'm not trying to say he's not, but I think it's fair to say, looking at the talent he's had, guys like Penny Sewell on the offensive line, really good running backs, really good defensive players across the board at multiple levels, including the number one player in college football in Kayvon Thibodeau, and the guy who's most likely going to be the first overall draft pick, that. There hasn't been a real competitor in the Pac-12, and yet he's lost bad games every year, games that top-tier coaches don't lose. And so good for him getting the money. He's earned that to a certain degree, especially if Mel Tucker has earned $90 million for one big win over Michigan, and that's the only good win he's had. I, I just feel like maybe we've, we've given – we've anointed him a little too early. That's all. Is that a fair you know, point at least? Yeah. Yeah, no, I look the Pac-12 to me for the past uh, what three, four years that he's been there now, yeah, uh, has been set up kind of like how Clemson was set up in the ACC, where it's like everybody else is pretty weak. This seems like a really uh, not so difficult schedule to go undefeated or have one loss and be the conference champion and in. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, 
Chip Kelly took advantage of that with all the talent that he had. Um, so yeah, I think it's fair to say that that Cristobal is underachieved uh, because there's no there's no reason that they shouldn't have made the playoffs uh, one of at least one of those years. And I can think of uh, two and probably a third this year. I would say this year they they really sh- shit the bed. I mean, um, he's he's won two Pac-12 titles in 2019 and 2020. Remember, he got very lucky in 2022 because of the COVID situation and wasn't quite able to. They were like in third place. And then I believe Washington, right. it was. But USC who, couldn't. Or yeah. yeah, there was a team that couldn't play. And then so they got put in because of a COVID situation. So even if I put an asterisk to it, he went 35 and 13 in, in since he took over in 2018. 35 and 13 and 23 and nine in the division or in the conference. That's not a great record. Yeah. I mean, they went nine and four in 2018 his first year, but they went five and four in the conference. And the only thing I can think of is that I don't, you know, I don't know what their cross divisional games are, but the PAC 12 North is the harder of the two conferences. I think, I mean, um, yeah, probably this year. Probably. Um, I, I think it's probably 50, 50. It's kind of like every other, sorry. it's like every other year. Don't you think? Yeah. Because yeah. like there's some years like Washington state was really good that year with Gardner Minshew and, and you know, Mike Leach and Washington with Chris, Chris Peterson, but Chris mm-hmm. Peterson hasn't been there in the last two years. And then there's years in the South where it's like Herm Edwards has done well. Utah's had good years. USC's had good years. You know, I, it's just a weird kind of dynamic and, Again, I like Mario Cristobal. I wish him luck at Miami. Miami is one of those schools. It's right up there with Texas where it's the U is back, right? Texas is back. I'll believe it when I see it. And I'll put it this way. Miami on paper as of now in in the first day of this new transition, there seems as though they're investing in the things that they need to invest in, which is, you know, facilities because right now they it's like a 45 minute bus ride for them to get from campus to where they practice to then the stadium to all these different places it's not an easy it's not good it's not a good selling point so they need changes they need it quick and also remember too Manny Diaz is a Miami guy like they're just coming off of a guy who was also a Miami guy and his head by the way for Mark Cristobal he was the head coach at FIU before he went to the Saban School right. of Rehabilitated Head Coaching Head Coaches, 2007 to 2012, he went. 27. What a staff! He went 27 and 47. That's From not 2007 great, to 2012, <laughs> 47, 27 and 47, 35 and 13 at Oregon, and he's 62 and 60 overall. I, again, I I wish him the best of luck. I do think he's a good coach, but. They were four and three last year, and it's a pandemic year, right? So give them the benefit of the doubt. Well, they went 10 and three this year, 12 and two in 2019. That's enough there to say, all right, they're on the right trajectory. But I think healthy skepticism is fair for a guy that seemingly has been anointed as like this all like one of the best coaches in college football. Because to me, I just don't think I just don't think that's who he is, at least not yet. Yeah, I no, I agree. I did see a really cool tweet. Um, shout out Chris Vanini from um, The uh, Athletic. Yeah. We actually had him on our show today. The staff. Yeah, I saw that too. So, The, the Rock. Staff. 
<laughs> well, there's the Alabama staff, but the the Rock, as a lot of people remember, um, played football at the University of Miami. Well, he was teammates with Mario Cristobal when Mario Cristobal was there. Uh, and The Rock also had a movie come out about the the youth. Uh, here, I have it. It's uh, trying to think. It, it's called the, it, the Young Rock Cinematic Universe, right? The, he, there was a movie that either is coming out or what did come out about The Rock and his life and, and kind of like growing up and his time at the U. And there's a scene in the movie where it's like an Oklahoma drill and it's the rock Ed Orgeron in the middle as, as the recruiting coach and the D line coach, and then Mario Cristobal. And in real life, what happened in this Oklahoma drill is Mario Cristobal ended up hurting the rock on the play to a season ending injury, which I don't know. I thought was kind of funny. That's why um, the other bit is the head coach. Well, he will. He was the well. He wasn't the head coach. He was the D line coach and the recruiting coordinator at the U. Right, right. During that, during that nine late nineties, and you know, there's amazing teams at the U. Um, the one other piece of college football coaching news, and again, we'll get into the games and stuff later. Uh, Oklahoma has their head coach, and it is Clemson defensive coordinator or former Clemson defensive coordinator Brent Venables, who we talked about a little bit on Thursday on Friday's pod about him being a good fit there. There's still a little bit of bad blood, but it looks as though they put all that behind him. I think it's, I think it's a really good hire. Um, you know, I think a lot of Oklahoma fans are waiting for that toughness to kind of come back. Venables is an awesome, awesome coach. He's obviously done un- – He's. I mean, he was being paid $2.5 million to be the, the defensive coordinator at Clemson. Um, not bad. And, and I think I, – I don't know. I'm not – he needs a really good offensive coach with him. And I think Venables will do a good job of being the CEO guy, but he's also going to have his fingerprints all over that defense, which will help them a lot, especially now that they're going to the SEC. But they need a really good, young, bright offensive mind to go in there to handle the offensive side of the ball, uh, even though obviously Brady. Venables. <laughs> well, so that's what's – I'm glad you brought that up because Joe Brady inexplicably got fired. Yeah. As the offensive coordinator for the Panthers, which is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. I, I, I don't get that decision at all. I get his no. job was to fix Sam Darnold, but like maybe Sam Darnold's just not good. And I think anybody who like analyzes film can go onto the Panthers offensive season and look at every single offensive snap basically and be like, there's a guy who schemed open. There's a guy who schemed open. There's a guy who schemed open. And Sam Darnold just misses them. Or the offensive line doesn't block long enough for the quarterback to get it out. I think that the, and unless there's a personal issue or maybe he was a candidate for one of these head coaching jobs in college or something, I don't know. But Joe Brady got multiple head coach interviews last year in the NFL. Yeah. I don't get what that decision was about. It seems really dumb to me. Maybe Oregon takes a chance on it. I don't know. Uh, this is the guy who was the architect behind uh, him and uh, Risinger. I forget the, the other guy's name, who um, the other co-offensive coordinator for that LSU team, but was a huge part of that 2019 LSU team. And the other interesting part about Venables here is not only did Clemson just lose their defensive coordinator, one of the best in college football, they lost their athletic director in Dan Radakovich. What's the future for Clemson right now? Because Clemson's coming off their first relatively down year in a long time. Um, mm-hmm. They still recruit the hell out of, you know, 
high school recruits. They do a really good job. Transfer portal guys are going to go there. Their recruiting class last year is a bunch of young guys who are only going to get better. Joe Brady to Clemson as the offensive coordinator. Stay in, you can stay right there in the Carolinas. You don't got to go far. Uh, there's just more, a lot more questions than answers in college football right now when it comes to head coaches. But what we do have answers for are the top four teams who are going to be competing for the college football playoff. Alabama, number one. Number two, Michigan. Number three, Georgia. And number four, the Cincinnati Bearcats. So we'll get into that. And we'll get into the NFL stuff uh, right after a quick break. Come back and we'll hammer all of the action that we had in football this weekend because there was a lot of it and a lot to get to. All right, so we're going to start here with the NFL weekend and then we'll get to the college stuff afterwards. And we were talking in, in when we were kind of planning today's show. And I think at this point in the season, similar to what I talked about last week, because last month, Tuesday pod I did. I did solo and I did more of a state of the NFL, right? I did a state of the league address where it was this whole, we don't know who's good when into this because it gets monotonous to go through and talk about games with teams that it just doesn't really matter. So basically the premise here moving forward is we are going to talk about each game, but there's going to be kind of a, a burning question for each game, right? Or even for, in some cases for teams specifically, and, you know, a great example we talked about, and we'll get to it, but like with Miami, you know, two has played awesome since the trade deadline when everyone thought, oh, Tua might get traded for this Deshaun Watson stuff. And as Tua now played well enough and the fact that they've won six in a row that you have to, or five in a row, that you have to give them credit, right? You have to give Tua credit. And now it becomes a real conversation, especially considering the contract you're going to be taking in for Deshaun Watson and all that stuff. So that's going to be a little more of how we approach this. Uh, the Thursday night game, Honestly, Dallas should have won that game by a lot more. I am seeing some real concerns with Dallas. And removing all biases, there's something cluttered about this offense where through the first half of the season, it felt like it was a smooth operation. And I don't know if it's the injury to Zeke. The running game hasn't quite been the same. They've been dealing with injuries and guys in and out of the lineup a lot. Maybe some of that chemistry they developed in camp has kind of not worn off, but it's just not quite as smooth as what it was. But they were a six-and-a-half-point favorite. They covered the spread. They won by 10, and so they won it comfortably. But the defense didn't look great against the Saints. Like, they, the defense should have been a lot better against the Saints than it was. You have a defensive player of the year candidate in Micah Parsons, a defensive player, and definitely going to be the defensive rookie of the year, by the way, a defensive rookie of the year, or uh, def another defensive player of the year candidate in Trayvon Diggs, who has been amazing, nine interceptions this year. You still have uh, a, a great, you know, Demarcus Lawrence came back and Randy Gregory's been in and out. So you, ha you have a pieces there, but the defense hasn't been awesome. But this whole, the calling card of this Cowboys team all year has been how great this offense has been. And I know Mike McCarthy wasn't there, but Mike McCarthy, I, I don't know, to me, like, the guy, he's not calling plays, right? So all of that still falls on the shoulders of Kellen Moore. It just seems like it's just not clicking. And now they're going down this stretch where they're going to be playing Washington. Uh, they have to play Washington twice. They're going to be playing New York again. They're going to be playing Philadelphia again. And I think they have one more out-of-conference game here before the season wraps up. I expect Cardinals. the Cardinals, which probably will end up being a loss, 
I expect Dallas to drop at least two more games by the end of the season, which would put them at 11 and six, probably enough for them to end up winning the NFC East, considering the, the Eagles have seven losses and the Washington football team has six losses. But from what I expected out of Dallas, I feel like it's been a little bit underwhelming, particularly in the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I think part of it is the chemistry issue uh, with guys coming in and out of the lineup. Michael Gallup just rejoining. I think this was, what, his second week back. That touchdown um, catch he had on Thursday was sick. Oh, it was way. gnarly. Yeah. Um, and then what many thought was a luxury in having Tony Pollard there for Zeke, which at, it's fine now, um, but if, if Zeke's not at full strength by the time he gets to the playoffs – uh, which is what I think people are hoping why Tony Pollard is good is you can get Zeke some rest when you when you need to and not not overwork him in the regular season. So now he's going to be healthy for the postseason. But to me, what it means is you're just banking you're banking on getting one of those those top seats already, right? What are those those home field seats? And so um, what you're doing is forcing your defense to play strong enough to win you football games, um, which I can tell you down the stretch in the NFC East is, is not going to work because Washington's going to come to play twice. Uh, New York is going to come to play against Dallas. And I know that your Eagles are going to come to play in the last game of the season, especially if they get to a point where they're sitting at, at 10 and uh, 10 and five. No. Yeah. 10 and six, 10 and six. Sorry. If Dallas is in the 10 and six and the Eagles yeah. are like, Hey, we have a chance to make the playoffs. But we got to win this game. Yeah. Dallas exactly. sets their starters. And then now the, now Philly's looking at, Hey, this is a chance for us to get into the playoffs. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think, I think a lot of it is contingent upon everyone being healthy and, and everyone hitting the stride at the right time. Uh, and, and they're doing enough to win football games now, but not necessarily, uh, doing it with the with the personnel packages and with the with the strength of of juggernaut like they were in the in the first quarter of the season. Yeah, I I, I again, I, I think Dallas is still the the favorite. I don't know what the odds are right now for them to win the division. I'm sure I'm sure they're the heavy favorites here moving forward. But Washington six and six, Dallas is eight and four. All right, so it's a two game split right now for the NFC East. They have two games between the two. And Washington's defense has played really well in the last, in this five-game winning streak that they've put on, or four-game, however long it's been. I don't know. I, I feel like Washington just keep winning games. Like, every week I'm watching, it's like Washington's winning another game, winning another game. And they've beaten Tampa Bay, who at this point looks like a better team than Dallas. Uh, they, they've beaten the Raiders, who just beat Dallas last week on Thanksgiving night. So they're beating teams that conceivably – are in the same ballpark as Dallas. So even if they end up splitting them and Dallas drops a game against Arizona, you know, right right now Washington's undefeated in conference play too. So this last stretch of games, it would be very Dallas of them to lose a couple games they're not supposed to, and Washington somehow sneaks and wins the division. I don't think that's going to happen, but I do think it's within the realm of possibility. And I also want to clarify this too. I don't fault Dak on any of this. Like Dak has been the the one bedrock of this team that has stayed solid all season. When he's been in the games, when he's been healthy, he has been great. 
Zeke being banged up. I know everyone talked about at nauseum throughout the first few weeks in the season, how great Zeke looked, right? He slimmed down. He was quicker. He looked more like, you know, rookie and sophomore year Zeke, more like Ohio State Zeke. Well, Zeke's still getting banged up and they're still not giving him the ball a ton. And Tony Pollard is a legit weapon. But for Dallas to be the team that we all thought maybe could sneak their way into the NFC Championship game, and by the way, they still have the talent that I think they could go toe-to-toe with Tampa, Green Bay, or Arizona, and we'll see them play Arizona in the next couple of weeks. I think there are some concerns here. And, yeah. and, and defensively, it's been very inconsistent. Yeah, I don't know what the weakness is on offense. Cause it seems to me like the same type of problem that the Rams have where they have an embarrassment of riches. And it's just like, how do we make all these pieces fit? Yeah. Right. How do we make Tony Pollard uh, a, a legitimate weapon without giving the ball to Z 25 times a game. Right. Yeah. Like, and, and then how you balance that out. Same thing with the receivers. Like how do we make Amari Cooper effective uh, if we're throwing eight, eight catches for 14 targets to CD lamb, for example. Right. And then, and then Michael Gallup's getting a, another like 25% of that target share. Right. So like it, it's, it's how all of those things fit together. It's not necessarily that they don't have the talent. Um, I mean, CD Lamb, they do. I, I saw a Twitter poll on this and it's hard after seeing what Justin Jefferson did, you know, in that, in that game, even, even in a loss against Detroit, but would you rather going back to that draft, would you rather have CD lamb or Justin Jefferson I know how good Justin Jefferson has been, but if CD lamb is on a team where he's the, the clear cut number one, like Justin Jefferson is like, think about that. Like Justin Jefferson went in to Minnesota with Adam Thielen and became the number one target. And, and Adam Thielen still, he is still a huge part of that. And Adam Thielen missed the game. He got hurt in the game yesterday and ends up not coming back into the game later on. But Justin Jefferson, like, He's an absolute stud. I still think I might take CD Lamb over him. Like CD Lamb is just that good. He is a freak route runner. He's a freak athlete. He's so good with the ball in his hands after the catch. I, I if if there is a gap between the two, one way or the other, it's not huge. I, I think you win in either case. And it still kills me that the Eagles drafted Jalen Rager one spot ahead of Jeff, Justin Jefferson. I'll never forgive. Uh, Howie Roseman of that forever because a wide receiving room with Devontae Smith and Justin Jefferson would be terrifying for people. But I, I, I want to give CD lamb his props because CD lamb is an absolute freak. He's an absolute freak and he's being overcast because Amari Cooper and Dak have really good chemistry. So when Amari Cooper's in the game, Amari Cooper gets a lot of those first looks, whereas Justin Jefferson versus Adam Thielen, it's kind of swung a little bit there, but I also think Amari Cooper is actually a better wide receiver than Adam Thielen, not by a whole lot. Uh, I do think Dallas will be fine. I do think they end up winning the division, but they went from a team through the first third of the season where you're like, they could win the Super Bowl to a team. Now I'm like, I'm not even sure if they make the NFC championship game because the defense has been made. We we've seen teams beat that defense. And uh, I think it's going to take a little bit of time before that confidence gets rebuilt, even though I do think Dan Quinn's done a really good job considering where that defense was just a year ago. Uh, I want to now switch into the game that I think most people thought, right? Cause a lot of these matchups weren't great going into it, but the one game that I was most excited to watch 
uh, and had a chance to be a really, really good game, um, even by halftime, was the Chargers and Cincinnati. Now, you look at the final score there and you think, wow, the Chargers just you know beat the doors off of Cincinnati. They win by 19. A couple of, you know, the pick six, a couple of late touchdowns and stuff in that fourth quarter. Score. Yeah. It, it really changed it. But this was a two-point game at one point. This game was 24 to 22 in the third quarter. Uh, and, and the scoop and score and the pick six obviously kind of put to bed some of that. And, and I don't even necessarily blame uh, Joe Burrow for a lot of that, too. He was playing with a pinky, you know. Do you see the pictures of his pinky? Yeah. Oh, it was I, nasty. It looked like a balloon attached to his hand. I saw an incredible tweet that was uh, a picture of Joe Burrow's pinky. I was like, can you imagine the fun that Urban Meyer would have with that pinky? Oh, my God. Uh, and I was like, opening it on the sideline. It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just I, I saw that and I was like, I, I that's that funny. that's unbelievable, man. Like that that tweet killed me. Um, this was an interesting game from a couple of perspectives because number one, Joe Burrow did not play bad. Uh, Joe Burrow, I think, obviously was playing through injury, um, but there's also certain limitations with Joe Burrow that you know, like the 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 pick that hit Jamar Chase right in his hands it was going to be a touchdown that he dropped and then got popped up in the air and picked off by LA that Joe Burrow that's not Joe Burrow's fault but it's going to go against Joe Burrow uh, Cincinnati though is just one of those teams where and, and it's funny because the Chargers and Cincinnati are both this they're the same team we make this joke a lot on the podcast but they're the Spider-Man meme you know they, they are like they're mirror images of each other. They both have young quarterbacks. They're both almost there. They both have good personnel, not great personnel. And they have pieces that you really like. My question is here, which team do you like better moving forward? Right? Because Zach Taylor, it's his third year. It's Brandon Staley's first year. Uh, Joe Burrow has, has shown the moxie and the personality and, and the, the guy that you trust to have the ball in his hands, you know, in, in big time moments. But I also kind of like Brandon Staley better as a head coach. I like, I know their defense has been terrible against the run, but they also don't have the personnel to really do that. So they have to make some changes on the defensive line and invest in some better linebackers. And I think Brandon Staley knows that and will do that. Uh, but their secondary long-term I think is set up well. And now it's the Joe Burrow versus Justin Herbert, which is like Justin Herbert can make all the throws and, and has probably better natural talent is a better athlete overall. Though Joe Burrow is a, very good athlete and, and has a pretty decent arm, not a great arm, but moving forward next couple of years, which team do you think kind of leapfrogs ahead of the other? Cause I doubt that they're both going to keep, I think they'll both be good. They'll both be flirting around the playoffs for the next few years, but which is the one that is like, that's the team that I think within three years will be competing for super bowls compared to the other team. That's hard. <clears throat> I'm going to say, I'm going to say Cincinnati. Um, just because, well, yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna stick with Cincinnati. Uh, their defense to me is far more impressive than uh, than the Chargers. Now I know the the Chargers are probably a couple pieces away, particularly on the line, but um, that defense is not impressive. Like it, it really isn't. And in, in a week, uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago when they played, um, when they played Minnesota, and it was uh, well, Dalvin's gonna 
eat and and maybe Justin Jefferson has a, a decent game or Thielen or who or any of the wide receivers. And they all did because that defense did nothing. Um and and it was it was interesting. I mean, some of the mistakes that the the Bengals made, um that interception that Burrow threw into the end zone, um, and then you know the the pick six that he had and then the the scoop and score as well. That the uh, that the Chargers defense came away with, but without those three mistakes, I mean, this game was still tight. It's not a, a 41-22 game. So, I the Bengals defense had four sacks. They pressured the hell out of that. That's a good offensive line, and uh, and pressured the hell out of uh, out of Justin Herbert, um, and Justin Herbert, who's usually really really good uh, against the pressure. Yeah, and, and just wasn't like they, they were getting to him before he could make a, a decision to uh, to uh, combat the pressure. So, uh, because of the defense, the defensive situation right now, I'm going to take the Bengals. I I don't think it's a huge gap between the two, and I, I think it's honestly it's probably a coin flip because they're both in similar situations. I I look at it this way: if you're a free agent, like a like a B plus level free agent, you know, you're, you're probably not getting the high end, not to say that they couldn't go out and make a big offer. I mean, the chargers have a little less flexibility in the cap because of the big Joey Bosa contract who got hurt in this game for a concussion. He was cleared, uh, but did not return. Brandon Staley said because of his concussion history and that he was looking to protect his players, which I admire. I think that's an awesome move on his part. Um, Both of these teams this year, have really good wins and have some head scratching wins or losses rather too. Right. Um, you know, the, the chargers beating Kansas city in week three, you know, at that point, Kansas city hadn't quite had the full tailspin yet. They had just come off the loss to Baltimore on Sunday night, the next week, then the chiefs lose to the chargers. Uh, but they lost to the Cowboys in that really close game. Uh, they got blown out by Baltimore. But then it was a three-point game against the Patriots, and it was the seven-point game against the Vikings, and then they got blown up by the Broncos last week. I think the losses for the Chargers are less damning than the losses for the, the Bengals this year. Like, the Bengals lost to the Bears in week two. They lost by three to the Packers in overtime. It was a great game, came up a little bit short. That was the game with all the missed kicks in overtime. Uh, then they got absolutely housed by the Browns. Uh, they lost to the Jets the week before losing to the Browns. And now they got absolutely, not to say absolutely, but they got beat by the Chargers uh, but pretty pretty handily. You know what part of the, the problem in the offense is, is since that Jets loss, and including that Jets loss, Jamar Chase has been a shell of himself Yeah, from before that point in the season. And, there, and, and I'll say this too, Cincinnati's wins are probably more impressive. Uh, maybe I want to say more impressive, but you know, they beat the crap out of the, the Ravens. Uh, they beat the crap out of the Steelers. They beat the crap out of the Raiders in Las Vegas. So the Bengals have a bunch of really good wins on their schedule too. I, I like Cincinnati a lot. And I think Cincinnati, I think Joe Burrow have a bright future, but I trust the organization a little bit more in LA. Uh, and I think they've drafted better historically over the last couple of years. I think both of these teams are probably going to be playoff teams moving forward. But in terms of upside, and this is probably the most important thing, which coach do you want to bet on? Do you want to bet on Zach Taylor or do you want to bet on Brandon Staley? And I think the job Brandon Staley's done as a first-year head coach, young coach, they clearly believe in him. 
they've done a bunch of really good things. And the only blowout loss, I mean, they lost pretty bad to the Broncos and the pick six by PS2 at the end of the game kind of made that loss seem even worse, um, you know, was the Ravens loss. Other than that, it was, you know, a three-point loss to Dallas, three-point loss to the Patriots, and then, you know, the Vikings, who we say all the time, can win or lose against anybody, uh, and we wouldn't be surprised. And that's a perfect segue to the next game I want to talk about here, which the Detroit Lions finally getting let's just take a moment let's just clap it up how about them lions uh what in the hell was the secondary doing on that last play Uh, i mean they were too much of uh they were first of all jared goff's dropping back and is literally on his own like 18 yard line and you're playing five yards deep at the coverage was a little soft the two safeties over the middle they're basically playing like quarters and the two safeties in the back are playing like seven yards deep in the end zone. Your two outside corners are playing like five yards deep and they took a little bit of back step there too. Yeah. That and all Amon Ross St. Brown did was a little hit route and that was, it was it. a great <laughs> That's route. That's all I needed to do. Yeah. But the coverage on that is inexplicable, inexplicable. And that leads yeah. me to the question here, which I listed off three coaches at the beginning of the year that I thought, could be in jeopardy of losing their jobs if they didn't have a good season. One was Pete Carroll. One was uh, Mike Zimmer. And I'm blanking on who the third coach was, but I know that Zimmer and Carroll were the two coaches that I threw out there as like, if things don't go well for him. I mean, Nagy was a given. I think we all knew Nagy was likely going to mm-hmm. lose his job at the end mm-hmm. of the season. Anyway, I'm trying to think now who was that other coach? Oh, Jim Harbaugh or John Harbaugh. Sorry, I got Michigan on the break. John oh, Harbaugh yeah. was the other one. Uh, and those are the three guys. Where I was like, if the season doesn't go, they've been there a while, have had success, but not quite. I think this is the kind of loss that loses your job if you're Mike Zimmer. Not because the Vikings haven't shown signs of being a really good football team this year. No, but, but it's, it's a pattern, though. Every single game. There's been one game that wasn't a one-score one 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 score game. That was when they lost to Seattle, who they got beat. The, Seattle beat the shit out of them in that game. And, and you look at what Seattle's also become. not a good football team. <laughs> yeah. Even though they beat San Francisco yesterday, Seattle's still not a good football team. Uh, and, and yes, Russell Wilson was healthy at the time. And you want to throw all that in there? Sure. Go ahead. It was earlier on in the season, but Minnesota with the talent that they have there. And honestly on both sides of the ball, they still have talent on defense. Yeah. They need to be better than this. So is this, is this the loss? Is this the nail in the coffin? The end of the season, it's the, mutual parting of ways not necessarily fired because Mike Zimmer's been there you know like that because there's always you have coaches who are obviously getting fired right the Matt Nagy's every single year but then you have coaches where it's like that's actually a little head scratching like Doug Peterson last year right like coaches like that where you're like oh okay that's that's a little interesting I think this might be the time where the Vikings go look we need something different you got a young talented running back in Dalvin Cook you got Two wide receivers, Adam Thielen's still in his prime, but he's probably going to have another year or two of that. They have a young offensive line who's gotten better, and you still have some guys on defense. They need to be better than what they've shown to this point. Well, and that's, for all intents and purposes, that's their weak spot is defense, and that's Mike Zimmer's bread and butter, man. Mm-hmm. So, like, why, if, you're, if you're the Vikings and you're looking at how the team has been constructed, I would not be happy with – the way that that this has gone down over the past what six almost six years now, um, and so 
it's been the same thing every single year. Uh, say for the the year that they got to well, almost to the NFC. NFC no, the, no, oh, no, they, they were got the to NFC the NFC championship, championship game and they yeah, got and then they got the doors blown off of them. Well, yeah. and remember in that game, too, they went down and scored a touchdown in the opening drive. It was a touchdown. It was like a little fade route to Kyle Rudolph in the back of the end zone for a touchdown. That was yeah. with Case Keenum. That was pre Kirk Cousins. And then Case Keenum got hit, you know, kind of he got hit as he was throwing by Chris Long and Patrick uh, Robinson picked it off and ran it back for like that 70 yard pick six. And from that point yeah. on the Eagles just destroyed them in that game. And and so, yeah, from that point, it's been – and it's not necessarily, hey, we've gotten this far. Like, can we take the next step? It's like we should be good enough to be at that next step, right? Uh, and they've brought in Justin Jefferson, uh, and, and Adam Thielen's only gotten better and better over the years. Uh, and they signed Kirk Cousins to this huge contract, and defense has been a weak spot. Um and it has been for some time. So I don't understand what their what the rationale is uh, going forward. I think uh, if you're looking at it from a 30,000-foot view, that the guy running the show who's a defensive-minded head coach is not, uh, is not helping coach up the, the one unit that uh, is, the, is the weak spot and, and for whatever reason can't do. Kirk Cousins is not a great quarterback. But when you have Dalvin Cook and Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen in your lineup, you're a pretty good offensive team, no matter who your quarterback is. Um, so I think that needs to be addressed too. Is is the amount of talent versus the uh, versus the output that you're getting, and and that to me is a fault of the coaching staff eleven out of ten times. Hundred percent. And again, I like Mike Zimmer for for a lot of different reasons. Like, I think Mike Zimmer is a, a good head coach. He's done a lot there. But you can't have this many losses when you know the talent is there. You can't beat Green Bay one week and then lose the Detroit Lions the next. There has to – and I get it. You want to say divisional rivalries, whatever. There has to be an el- some element of consistency when it comes to beating teams you're supposed to beat, division or not division. If you're good enough to beat Green Bay, one of the best teams in football this year, then you have to be good enough to beat the Browns. You have to be good enough to beat, you know, the Ravens and and, and the Bengals and and the Lions in San Francisco. Like, and the when you really look at their schedule, right? Like, they beat Seattle. I don't know why I said they lost to Seattle. They beat Seattle. They beat Seattle comfortably. So that was my fault. Uh, they beat the Lions once earlier this year, but only by two points. They beat Carolina. That was a last-second field goal, too. That was a walk-off. They beat the Chargers. They beat the Packers. Like, their wins are like, with the exception of the the Packers, it's like games you should win. Yeah, this is, at the end of the year, it's going to be one of the lowest strengths of of record and schedule uh, at the the end of the the season here. But they've also, I will say this at least, they've played good teams. Cincinnati, Arizona, Seattle, Cleveland, Detroit twice, whatever. Carolina, no. But then it's Dallas, it's Baltimore, it's the Chargers, it's Green Bay, it's San Francisco, it's the Steelers. They got next week on Thursday night. Uh, the and then they got Chicago and the Rams. Like they, I, I, I'll give them some sort of credit. Credit that they're they have played a relatively difficult schedule, but I just think they have to be better than this. And, and if you're a Vikings fan, you expect more. And I would think if you're in that front office, you expect more. These if you're in all these one score games, you're right there. 
But like you said, Scotty, and this that's what's such a great point here, is that it's a it's a trend. All right. When something becomes a pattern, it becomes far more problematic as a head coach, as a football team. And I don't know how you look at this team as currently constructed and say, we've had bad defenses two years in a row under a coach who's supposed to be good at calling defenses. And we keep losing all these one score games because we have fucking Kirk Cousins as our quarterback, who's been very good this year, but he's not great. Like you texted me this week and you're like, Kirk Cousins, not a good quarterback. And I would say, no, Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback. He's not a great quarterback. Statistically, he is in the top 10 in almost every single category that you possibly can be. It's annoying because like then I test, you're like, no, (laughs) but that's the difference. That's the difference between being good and being great. There's a, there's been a ton of quarterbacks throughout the years, you know, who have been good quarterbacks, the Drew Bledsoe's of the world, right? Guys who are good quarterbacks who can put up stats, who can be impressive. It doesn't make them great. And that greatness is a, is a certain gene. It's a certain, you know, it's a personality thing as much as it is an arm talent skill wise thing. And I think they just, they need to look on and they got to move on, but I don't want to go through this whole conversation without giving up to bringing up Detroit and just saying how awesome it was to see that celebration. Yeah. Jared Goff hits um, Amron St. Brown in the end zone. He's running off. Like they just won the super bowl. Like to say that that team, and this is why I think there's going to be a lot of people who think that Dan Campbell shouldn't be brought back next year. And I disagree vehemently because that dude cares, that team cares, that team is bought in, and this season has been so hard on them. They come in every single week with passion, and passion is a buzzword people like to use, right? You know, people can say, oh, do you care? Do you not care? Do you show? They have a passion for that team, for that locker room that is an an absolute perfect example of what Dan Campbell has brought as a head coach. Cause no one has more passion yeah. as a head coach for the game than Dan Campbell does out of all of the coaches in the NFL. He has such an emotional connection to the sport and clearly this team has followed him and bought into it. So to see them win that game, I thought was really special. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree. And, and for, for those saying that he should not come back next year, I find me another coach that, that will, in this short amount of time, have all 53 guys on that roster buy into what they're doing. This isn't a, a, a fault of, of Matt Campbell or the coaching. So this is a, a lack of talent issue. Um, okay, let, let's be clear. Um, so I, I'm excited to see what they build because uh, if, if they do, and I hope they do keep uh, Matt Campbell and that staff moving forward, they're – They'll be set up for success if they if they have uh, the talent surrounding that. So, I agreed, agreed completely. Um, let's move on to another game from this weekend. Um, I'm pulling up the list because again, this it's, it's on a, Sunday. <laughs> that would probably be be smart to do. Um, I'm going to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh now, boy! I uh, great win for the team. Um, Minshew mania is in full swing. I, I would say this. I think Garner Minshew probably has the highest approval rating of any player in the NFL. That pregame uh, fit, with, the, with the outfit he was wearing, unbelievable. He, he is such a G. 
and, and I absolutely <laughs> love the guy. I, I genuinely but, do. And But you have to come in and play well if you're wearing that to the stadium. Oh, I mean, right? he's playing the Jets, and he's wearing a fighter pilot jacket. Like, he's going to own the Jets. He's going to run uh, the Jets. Highway like, to the danger zone. <laughs> he was full-blown Tom Cruise and Top Gun, and I, I, I loved it, man. Like, and – I I had a feeling like the Eagles were going to win. I thought they would be able to move the ball really, really well. They did. They moved it pretty much effortlessly. Uh, Dallas Goddard had the best game of his career. There's so much to love about Gardner Minshew yeah. and everything. And I All of a sudden, get... this running game, too, by the way, is like the best running game in the NFL. <laughs> well, yeah, it was – Miles Garrett had 24 carries. It's the most carries Standard. he's ever had. Sorry. Miles Sanders had 24 carries. It was the most carries he's ever had in an NFL game. 24. And it's like, yeah, when you give the guy a bunch of bites at the apple, he's going to go for 120 yards like he did. And he had an awesome, awesome day. Still has not found the end zone this year, but he gets over 100 yards. They used him in the passing yeah. game. I think he had Kenny over 100. Gainwell had a great game. Kenny yeah. Gainwell had a great game. And this is without Jordan Howard, without Boston Scott. And the Eagles get a win going into a bye when they get Washington, New York, Washington, and Dallas in consecutive weeks. So everything's in front of the Eagles right now. Um, but I want to give a shout out to the, the Philadelphia faithful because we watched this team, and I get it. The stakes were a little bit higher. Nick Foles won a Super Bowl. But we watched the, the fans of Philadelphia helped help, not that they were solely responsible because I hate when people say that, but – they didn't do any favors to the quarterback controversy that existed post Eagles Super Bowl run, which inevitably led to the Eagles having to move on from Carson Wentz. There was no other decision for the Eagles based off of everything that happened than to move on from Carson Wentz. And they absolutely should have always gone back to Carson Wentz after Nick Foles won the Super Bowl. We saw what happened when Nick Foles went to Jacksonville. We saw what happened to Nick Foles in any other context other than being the starting quarterback for the Eagles, which is that he's not a good quarterback. He had an unbelievable magic, man. He's a good quarterback. He's he had an unbelievable run, one of the greatest and most yeah. historic runs in the history of football. But the Philly fans were so split on this guy just won the Super Bowl. By the way, I actually get that argument. How do you turn away? And, and if it had been another organization and not my team, I would have been like, it's hard to turn your back on the guy who just won you a Super Bowl. But I was steadfast that Carson Wentz should have been the guy coming back. But Philly was so split on it, and it was a headline in the news every single day. And then they built a fucking statue of him and Doug Peterson out in front of the stadium and all of this stuff. And he just kept building and building and building to the point where it was an in an unfixable situation, intenable situation between the Eagles and Nick Foles and Carson Wentz. And things happened, and the head coach is gone, and the quarterbacks, both quarterbacks are gone, and now the Eagles are standing around like, all right, now what? Well – it very easily could have happened this week, and the Gardner Win Minshew gum comes in, plays great. They beat the Jets, which is nothing necessarily right home about. And then all of a sudden, you wake up on Monday morning, and it's headlines, QB controversy in Philly. Hurts are the stash. You know, like, where you, who, who's going to be the quarterback before? And from everything I've seen, it's been pretty universal that the Eagles fans and faithful have been fully behind Jalen Hurts, as they should be. Garner Minshew is an awesome backup. He's probably the best backup in the league. Uh, and, and honestly, probably deserves a chance to be a starter somewhere else. But if Jalen Hurts is in this game, I think we get the exact same outcome. 
I think the offense is just as fluid. It might look a little bit different. He probably doesn't go 20 of 25 or whatever, like, like Gardner Minshew did, but he yeah. probably runs for 70 yards and has a couple yeah, of running say, touchdowns, right? Yeah, I was going to say Miles Sanders has 87 yards instead of 120, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and that streak of, you know, consecutive games over 200 yards without 100. Miles Sanders going over 100 yards was the first time the Eagles had a 100-yard rusher all season, and yet they were like the number two rushing team in all of football going into this game. Yeah. So – I'm very proud of the Eagles fans and media to be like, no, like we love Gardner. We're all going to celebrate it. That video of him and his dad just broing out after the game was fucking awesome. And I love Gardner Minshew for that. But Jalen Hurts is still the guy here. Now, the one guy, and this was before the game, but the one guy who doesn't seem to have gotten the memo on this is, of course, Howie Roseman. When a report came out this week that, oh, it was actually on Saturday, I believe, that Howie Roseman doesn't have confidence or faith that Jalen Hurts could be the guy long-term, which, okay, Howie, you've built up so much good graces, right? The, the, the Philly fans have actually done a 180 considering what we thought of you just six months ago, Con- myself included on the rants I went on, on, the, on this very same podcast, absolutely destroying this guy for the, the job he did in the draft, the job he did in free agency for the everything. Well, now it looks like, all right, you're going to get that first-round pick. Carson Wentz had 74% of the projected total snaps for the Colts this season. Carson Wentz is already at 74%. So, barring something crazy, Carson Wentz is – we're going to get the Indianapolis first-round draft pick, right? Fingers crossed, knock on wood, all that good stuff. All right? You lock up five really good young players that you drafted, homegrown guys to long-term extensions. You – Believe that Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson could still be big factors. You even traded Zach Ertz, one of the beloved sons of Philadelphia. And now we're seeing why, because Dallas Goddard has flourished as the number one tight end option. And you also did, did right by one of the Eagles favorite Eagles fans, favorite players. And now you're going to take all of this goodwill and you're just going to whoosh, flush it right down the toilet. Because I already know what's going to happen. The Eagles are going to draft Matt Corral or Kenny Pickett or someone else instead of at least packaging their three picks together and Jalen Hurts to Seattle and taking Russell Wilson back or something along those lines. Which I think, by the way, you draft the best players you can in the first round with your three first-round draft picks and you let Jalen Hurts continue to grow. For you to have any sort of comment, leaked, unleaked, whatever, about your faith in Jalen Hurts to this point is again showing why Howie Roseman is a fucking doofus. What was the word? What, what, what did I say to you before we started? I came up with a phrase that I loved. He's a douche weasel. I want to start. <laughs> I want to coin that. Hashtag douche weasel. Douche weasel. That is Howie Roseman. He's a douche weasel. He's a little snake. He's a little soft candy ass bitch. And he thinks he's smarter than everybody else in the room. Well, dude, you've bought back the faith that you had completely lost. So just let Jalen Hurts be the guy, all right? Just let Jalen Hurts be the guy for a couple of years. Let's see how this plays out. Because you are you are Jeffrey Lurie's little pet. You know, he, you're the gimp from Pulp Fiction, okay? You, you don't got to <laughs> worry about you going anywhere, all right? Your job is safe. So just ride out Jalen Hurts. Because Jeffrey Lurie, in the same report, is very high on Jalen Hurts. So the only person in this scenario who's not high on Jalen Hurts is Howie. So Howie... Shut the fuck up. Get out of your own way. Do what you did last year and draft good players. 
and let's move on. Let's try to make a playoff push this year. Add to that whatever you would like, Scotty. I know I ramble. Go birds. <laughs> no, nah, man, that's you nailed it. I mean, look, this is not a bad football team. Defense has played better each of the last five weeks, uh, except for letting up 18 early points to the Jets, but then they kind of shut them down. Uh, so I have something yeah. to add to that too, by the way, but keep going. No, I, I was just going to say, I like the way the defense is playing. Um, they're growing and maturing together. Uh, and and credit to Sirianni, who was getting absolutely blasted for his play calling at the beginning of the year, saying he wasn't running the ball enough. And he was like, oh, yeah, watch me. And now they run the ball. And look, all of a sudden, they're the number two running uh, team in the in the NFL. So I mean, credit to him. Um, they've got the the weaponry. They're they're I, they, I think they're they're a couple of spots away. Um, Shore up the offensive line a little bit, maybe. Uh, give to, me Devin Lloyd, some of the veterans. Yeah, so give me Devin yeah, Lloyd, I mean, linebacker out of Utah. Give it, give me him now. That, that would work too. I mean, look, they're they're not they're not too far off, Jeff. I'll tell you that right now. I don't think they are either. I just think they have to have the resolve to just trust that Jalen has done enough this year that you have to give him another year. You, you just, you have to. Um, I want to add this. The defense has been playing um, better, but they've also gotten really lucky in a lot of these situations. Uh, the Giants, they were playing the Giants, terrible offense, whatever. The Eagles, they had the, the fumble six, uh, or the fumble six against the Lions, Right, which again, the Lions game they destroyed. Not to worry about it. Uh, the oh, three, please. the three point loss to the Chargers was actually a ten point loss, and then a garbage time touchdown made it look like a three point loss. They really could not slow down Justin Herbert or that passing attack at all. The Saints, the pick six against the Saints, really is what put that game out of out of reach. And yes, there was a little bit of garbage time. Saints are down like. 25 or whatever and they start chucking the ball and they scored two touchdowns and made it an 11 point game Jonathan Gannon is a horrific defensive coordinator all of these numbers and the stats and the stuff that's been thrown out there that make it seem like he's actually doing a good job he's not so much of it is situational so much of it is contextualized when you contextualize it makes you realize that this defense is not good the, the DVOA stuff it's not good the Eagles they, literally, the Jets had the ball for less than two minutes of the third quarter on Sunday against the Jets. Like, they had the ball for two minutes. No wonder they only scored 18 points. They make one stop in the third quarter after they had a 12-minute drive to open up the third quarter that ended yeah. in a field goal. And then, yeah, you get one big stop and a big sack, and all, all of a sudden now all these numbers are gassing it up. They made Zach Wilson look like a competent NFL quarterback in the first quarter. They had back-to-back plays on the goal line where a tight end or a wide receiver was wide open in the back of the end zone. Jonathan Gannon is a bad defensive coordinator who is still insisting that Fletcher Cox plays out of position because it opens up easier matchups for Javon Hargrave. It should be the other way around. You put put Javon (laughs) Hargrave in positions to open up things for Fletcher Cox. And I... I, The biggest mistake they made when hiring Sirianni, who I agree, ton of credit des- deserves to be thrown at Sirianni, who's done a great job, who's scheming the hell out of the game uh, and, and did a great job against the Giants too. And Hurts just missed a whole bunch. 
uh, a whole bunch of, of, of very easy throws, including an even easier game winner to Quez Watkins that he ended up being a, a, a shallow crosser to Gainwell in Atlanta. I'm going back way too deep here into two weeks ago against the Giants. The point being here is that the Eagles are, when they hired Sirianni, you have a rookie head coach. You don't hire a rookie defensive coordinator. Because Jonathan Gannon might be a great defensive coordinator in five years, but he's going yeah, through but his learning pains now. now. You need yeah. someone who's been a head coach. You know, when Sean McVay became the head coach of the, of the Rams, they hired Wade Phillips as the defensive coordinator for a reason. You know, Bruce Arians hires smart defense. When Cliff Kingsbury, who's Cliff Kingsbury's defensive coordinator, right? It's not Todd Bowles. He's in, um, it's, uh, why can't I think of his name? Former head coach who was a defensive coordinator. I'm sorry that I'm blanking on the name of the, the Cardinals defensive coordinator right now. It's driving me nuts. But he goes out and hires a former Vance Joseph. Vance Joseph. Yeah. Thank you. A former head coach, a defensive minded guy who's going to come in and help you lead the team, help you learn things. Hiring Jonathan Gannon was such a dumb decision. And the one thing the Eagles absolutely have to do when you think about like offseason changes, you have to get a better defensive coordinator in there. Someone with experience, with the leadership, someone who can help Sirianni. Because I actually, I, I'm in on Sirianni. I'm in on giving Sirianni a couple of years. Because I, I, the way he's scheming things up offensively is impressive. I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of stuff that's open for them. And you saw it this week. You saw how uncomfortable he made that Jets defense, which wasn't great by any means. But they made guys uncomfortable. And they had guys open every time they threw the football. And the more they can do that, the more they need a defensive coordinator who knows what the fuck he's doing. And Jonathan Cannon is not that. All right. Too much time spent on the Eagles. We've, <laughs> we've brushed by on the Eagles before. I just, I don't know. I felt the need to, to dive into that a little bit more. Uh, Tampa Bay and Atlanta. Not a whole lot to get into here other than it looks like Tampa Bay. And you, you and I said this on, on Friday and you, you were the first one to bring it up. So I give you credit here. Uh, it does feel like they're hitting that stride right now. It does feel mm -hmm. like they're hitting that stride where they're like, all right, we have our team. We're set here. Uh, but they're working for it harder than they had to last year. The defense still isn't as good as it was last year. Um, and they're and, banged up. And, yeah, no question. So the question is, is just are they without the players that they need, right? Devin White, who uh, I don't know if Devin White actually ended up playing in this game or not. I know he was banged up going into the game. I don't think he did. Um, Carlton Davis is still out. Uh, Antoine Winfield Jr. has been out of the lineup and they're still hurting without Richard Sherman, which again tells you where this defense is. Yeah. Can this team, as currently constructed, injuries and all, win the Super Bowl? And I know that seems I, dumb because it's Tom Brady, but... I care about you. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying that they can't. I'm asking you. Do you <laughs> think that they can with the roster that's currently constructed? Because the Falcons moved the ball against them Pretty comfortably, a lot more comfortably than I think Bucks fans would like to see. Yeah, Mike Davis had his best game of the year against Tampa Bay. Um, they ran so, for 121 yards. Yeah, uh, Matt Ryan threw. Russell for, Gage had 130. Yeah, Matt Ryan threw for almost 200, uh, almost 300 yards, 297 yards. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're seeing some of the vulnerabilities with the with the defense being as banged up as it is. Um, the benefit is on offense. You're is two things one you're you benefited by getting gronkowski back uh, and healthy he had two touchdowns um 
and we already know the uh, the electricity that uh, that he and and Brady have. Uh, and two is, for better or worse, that Antonio Brown's stuff going on outside of football is not a distraction to this team right now, as it seems. Um, so uh, we'll see uh, moving forward. I think they 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 looked a little rough around the edges. Uh, you know, for for as much as I thought they were hitting their stride, uh, there were points in in the game against Atlanta where I was like, "Ooh, that's not a good decision by Tom Brady." Um, right, that uh, that the check down pick six that he threw. Right, it was a check down toward the uh, toward the end zone, and the the defensive lineman just read it super well because uh, Fournette was was the only option, and and that's just a, a classic Brady. Uh, move, um, and and that was a pick six uh, that the uh, the Atlanta defensive lineman had, um, and then trying to I think part of what they did on offense too was try to get a lot of 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 Fournette's involvement seemed like they were trying too hard to do it. Um, mm-hmm. They did it; they've done it successfully all year, but it seemed relatively effortless. Um, but then trying to get him more involved in the pass game against this defense, which is not great, uh, seemed seemed a little forced. Um, it is nice though when you have uh, two wide receivers the caliber of uh, of Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, who can both give you a hundred yards or better on any given day. Well, and Godwin, who has been for the most part an afterthought this season, fifteen catches yeah. for one hundred and forty three yards. He had an awesome game, seven catches for 99 for Mike Evans, and then a vintage Gronk game, four catches, 58 yards, two tutties. Uh, Leonard Fournette with an awesome one-handed catch there in the end zone. Um, look, I the, the, the big thing for Tampa Bay is can they run the ball? I need to see them run the ball consistently because yesterday Leonard Fournette gets 13 carries for 44 yards, and other than that, Giovanni Bernard had one carry. Ronald Jones had one carry. So, so I, I don't think they know who, like as much as like Brady has probably a lot to do with this, right? Where he's like, all right, we're going with the hot hand, right? Obviously Fournette's going to be out there, but then between like Giovanni Bernard and, uh, and Rojo, right? And I think Rojo ended up getting hurt. Like Ronald Jones got hurt in the, uh, in the middle of the game there and they had to, to come out, but like it's, it's an any given week thing, right? Like, but they so still only no... carried. They only had sixteen rushing attempts compared to fifty-one passing attempts, right? right? Like, like to me, it's it's not about hot hand, not hot hand. Like, you know how I feel about running backs, right? It's it's you want the committee, which they have. When healthy, right? You have Ronald Jones there too, and then Leonard Fournette and Giovanni Bernard. You have a nice little combination of backs there. So yeah, they'll be able to ride the hot hand. It's it's distribution. It's play calling distribution. Right. Are you are, are, do you have balance in your play calling? And I get with Tom Brady, a lot of that can be mitigated with, you know, check down screen passes like Lena Fournette had seven catches yesterday for 48 yards, including the one touchdown. He was targeted eight times. Giovanni Bernard had a reception, but he was targeted twice. So you add all of that up. That's 10 targets to running backs that can kind of help mitigate the running game because Tom Brady likes to have that option where it's like, hey, you know what? Instead of running the ball. 25 times we're going to add an extra 10 rushing attempts but they're not actually rushing attempts they're just short check down passing plays. right so i that just was think... still only 20 percent of the of the 
passes to Brady through were two running backs. For sure, I mean, but Brady those are de facto. Times. But they're de facto running plays, right? So at least it makes the distribution a little bit more to like forty-one passes to twenty-five runs, which with Tom Brady, I think is actually a pretty a, a hell and a Bruce Arians offense is actually a pretty smart like play calling balance. Um, yep. And the one other thing I want to add here before we move on to the next game, uh, Devin White did play and he had an awesome game, ten tackles. Uh, and and him and Antoine Winfield Jr. led the team in tackles. So I just wanted to clarify that before we uh, we moved on. All right, uh, Cardinals Bears. We finally got to see Kyler Murray come back. My question with Arizona is not on the offense because I think we know the question marks there, right? Uh, can Kyler stay healthy? We we don't know that that's an unanswerable question. So it doesn't make sense for us to debate or go in depth on it. Can D Hop stay healthy again? Not really up for us to debate. Um, and the offense, when they're all there, is awesome. Even without Chase, uh, Chase Edmonds, when it was just, you know, James Conner. James Conner had an awesome touchdown catch. Uh, the one-handed, you know, catch and run was sick. And DeAndre Hopkins had an amazing catch for a touchdown. Zach Ertz is doing some really good stuff passing and, uh, and receiving and blocking. And then you have all those other weapons, A.J. Green, Christian Kirk, Rondale Moore, all those guys. Uh, the question for me out in Arizona is, is on the defensive side of the ball, because I think we've we've taken for granted the fact that arguably I think Buda Baker and Chandler Jones right now are probably the top two most important or at least two the two players that need to make the most plays for Arizona. But I would argue that the and when I say plays, I mean like game changing plays, interceptions, sacks, strip fumbles, all that kind of stuff. But down in and down out, the two most important players, I think, for Arizona right now, and you could even make it three, are the three guys who are playing linebacker for them in Isaiah Simmons, Zayvon Collins, and Jordan Hicks. Now, Jordan Hicks won a Super Bowl with the Eagles. It, was, it has been a great middle linebacker. And when he's been in, he's had a really good year for them quietly. Um, but the other two guys, Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins, both first-round picks, I know I've said to you, they were my two favorite players coming out of the draft two years ago when Isaiah Simmons came out, and then last year again when Zayvon Collins came out, both of those guys are in their first and second year respectively. So a lot is being relied on this Arizona defense for guys who are young and inexperienced and still learning. And we've seen flashes of Isaiah Simmons being a game wrecker type of player who can basically be kind of like Micah Parsons, what Micah Parsons is doing now. Like, I think Arizona needs to think about using Isaiah Simmons a little bit more like how Dallas has been using Micah Parsons. Uh, and I would even make, make the argument that I think Isaiah Simmons is a better all-around athlete than, than uh, Micah Parsons because in college, Whoa. Isaiah Simmons played corner for some plays. He played safety for some plays. And not just in any games, in the college football playoff against Alabama and against LSU, right? Like, Isaiah Simmons is – a better overall athlete than Micah Parsons, even though Micah Parsons is a better pure edge rusher and, and might, I would say as an interior linebacker is probably a little bit better though. I think Isaiah Simmons is probably a little bit better in coverage and does some of the things that Micah Parsons is still learning how to do. Cause they're both they're, they're both right there. Like it's not a huge gap one way or the other. I just think Isaiah Simmons is a little bit bigger and can do a little bit more. But Arizona hasn't used him like that. They've they've taken the, the specialness out of him from what he did at Clemson. So can this Arizona Cardinals defense be championship caliber? Because 
there were moments when they were playing, and we've seen it against Carolina this year. We've seen it now against Chicago. The Chicago Bears have no business scoring 22 points against the Cardinals. No business. Like the Bears with Andy Dalton should be scoring 10 points max. And they put up 22 points against the Cardinals defense. And I get J.J. Watt getting hurt, whatever. But if your two most important defensive linemen are guys well into their 30s in J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones, and maybe J.J. Watt comes back this year, that proves to me that you have some trouble there. And maybe they'll be able to score so much that it doesn't matter that 22 points, they still win by 11. It doesn't matter, even though they fucked me on the cover. Um, That's a story (laughs) for another day. But I have some concerns about playoff time. You know, if they get home field advantage, that'd be huge. But you're going up against Aaron Rodgers, right? They already lost to the Packers once this year. Going up against Tom Brady. Are those two guys who are going to be so important on a down-in and down-out basis going to be good enough come the postseason where they're trying to make a Super Bowl? Yeah, I, I would hope so, uh, just based on the way that that defense has played all year long. But I, it, it, to me, since J.J. Watt has gone out, it seems like they're getting significantly less pressure on the quarterback. They only got three sacks um, <clears throat> this week. Uh, so... I think that's part of the problem. Uh, and they're not playing particularly good offensive lines. I mean, the last two games have been against Chicago, uh, Seattle, and uh, and the Panthers, and the Niners, who are banged up offensive line too. So um, I, I, I don't know what's going on. And I, I think part of, part of the success of the defense in the first half of the year was getting to the quarterback. And, uh, and we saw what, uh, what Aaron Rodgers did when – in that Thursday night game when they could not get to the quarterback. Uh, so it's a toss up for me on defense. Cause they definitely have the talent to, uh, to combat the pass. It's like, it, it's, it's just a matter of, of, of utilizing Isaiah Simmons, like you said, to, uh, to, to maximize his full potential, right? Uh, he can do, most everything on the football field on, on the defensive end. So, uh, so just, just use it. <laughs> like, I don't know why, why you're, you're holding back or anything. Um, so yeah, I, mean, I, they, I, I don't want to take anything away. Cause like, look, they're, they're fourth in points against right. They're averaging 18.7 points against. So you're under 20 points giving up on the defensive side of the ball. That's, that's huge. But their third down percentage is like they're 33% on third down. That's really good. Uh, they've been pretty good against the uh, the rush right now. I'm pulling up their numbers. Uh, they're looks like they're about 13th, 12th, 13th um, in total yards per game. Uh, they're fifth in total yards per game. So, so they're up there with the league's best in a lot of statistical categories. But I still think when you, when you look at the again adding context to it. There's just some guys there that I just don't 100% have full full trust in. You know what I mean? Um, even though I, I like Arizona a lot, and, and I think chances are they finish the season as the number one seed, but that head-to-head against Arizona, against Green Bay hurts them because they're only a half – they're only a game ahead of Green Bay right now, and one slip-up, they're tied. Green Bay is going to be the one seed. Um, some of the other games here, as we wrap up, we're going to try to speed up here through the rest of the pod um, – Giants, Dolphins, Dolphins cruise uh, for the most part. Their defense has been awesome. They've now won five in a row. As you pointed out before we started uh, recording the pod, 
first team in NFL history to start off the season one and seven and get to uh, and win five straight at now six and seven. Now they have a tough remaining schedule. They have to play Buffalo. They have to play uh, the Patriots twice, I believe. So they have a rough remaining schedule, but they did look good on Sunday against the Giants. And the question here with them is long-term a quarterback, right? Because I, I believe that Tua has done enough where you really start to question, you know, that what if about Deshaun Watson, right? Is Tua just improving his his value to the Texans for the Texans to want to make that trade? Is Miami still going to want to try to make that trade in the offseason? Are they going to have to wait for, you know, it, it basically it just kind of feels like Tua could just be auditioning for Houston more and more, or he could be earning himself a spot to be like, you know what? No, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to be the long-term guy. And when you factor in the contract stuff, having a guy on his rookie deal and what you can spend on other areas and try to make a push before you have to give Tua some sort of extension, I, I think Tua's done a pretty damn good job. Yeah, no, I agree. And and the part for me where if you're the Dolphins front office and that puts you in a, between a rock and a hard place is like, look at the chemistry last year he had with a guy like Gasecki, right? And now we're doing the same thing again this year. So I was like chemistry with Gasecki, but now he's got Matt Collins to throw to and Devontae Parker to throw to when he's healthy. But the real yeah, Matt like, Collins becoming chemistry. a good wide receiver. <laughs> Never that. saw that one. Yeah. Uh, but the real chemistry is between him and Jalen Waddle, and yeah. it's been electric to watch. Uh, and I kind of think we all had the sense in the draft that we knew it was coming, and we knew it would just take like one game with a couple of big plays. And like, uh, but over well, the last, I think what, Waddle, three weeks, Waddle feeling comfortable after the injury last year too, right? Like you, you True. fuck yeah. up your ankle as bad as he did. You know, it's going to take you a little bit to trust in. It does seem like he's finally gotten to the point where he trusts that ankle. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so that's that to me is where if you're the Miami front office, you're a little bit conflicted because you're like, well, he's got these this great chemistry with these guys and we don't want to break it up on the one hand. Yeah. On the other, do we really think that he's the franchise quarterback that we drafted? Um, and so then, well, there's a number of variables that go into that, the value you get for the contract that he's on and all of, all of that stuff. So um, to if me, you were though, to... go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, I was well, say... well, I was going to say before because I wanted to move on to the next game here. So if you have another point, go. But my my last question to you would just be: Week one, twenty twenty two, is two of the starting quarterbacks for the Dolphins. Yes, he is. I think so yeah. too. I think so too. Now we still have to wait and see what happens, and and you know, so much of the Deshaun Watson stuff is yet to be. You know, a lot of this, there have been more and more developments in that in that civil case that's been that's kind of gone on. And, you know, when it first came out, you and I were both kind of like, look, like we're not I didn't feel comfortable commenting on it. Right. Until we knew what was going on. There's no legal case on this. This is all civil stuff. Um, and we really haven't seen Deshaun Watson at all this year. He's not on the sidelines for games. He's basically been away from the team all season. Um, but. We have to see how that whole situation plays out as much as anything. And that can go a bunch of different ways. But I think even kind of regardless, I mean, Deshaun Watson, when he's healthy, is fantastic. And when he's been in, is awesome. 
but the off the field stuff matters. And I think Tua is probably going to end up being the starting quarterback for the Dolphins here next year as well. Yep. All right. Uh, Colts, Texans. The Texans are bad at football. Uh, the Washington yep. football team and the Raiders. Um, I don't know. I, I don't want to glance over at that briefly, but look, there's really not much more we can talk about here. Um, Jonathan Taylor, another pretty good game for him. Carson Wentz protecting the ball. The, the Texans stuck. I guess the one question I would ask here is that, is David Colley a one and done? Does he get, does he keep his job at the end of this year? I don't think it's very fair uh, to him to be thrown in this situation just to have a guy on the sideline for 17 games. Uh, right. Like they've done nothing to, to put anything around him. They've actively and for better, I think actively said Deshaun Watson's not going to play this year. I don't care if he's healthy um, or, or cleared of any, anything, whatever he's, he's, He's his time with the organization is done, um, yeah. but to to just put a guy on the sideline to be a scapegoat for your team to go what two and and fifteen or whatever yeah that that's not fair man yeah that's not that, fair they, at all they would Any be doing him real really job dirty. ever yeah, yeah. And, and that's not fair at all so but it's I also think got, not out of the realm of possibility we we saw it happen not, to Steve but, Wilkes at, in Arizona we saw it happen to Freddie Kitchens in, in Cleveland. Now, I, I would say the Steve Wilkes one was far less warranted than the Freddie Kitchens one, but at the same time, it's not out of the question. I don't think they will, for the record, um, but I just think it's an interesting point to bring up. I also thought this, too, because Deshaun and everything else. I think Davos Sweeney ever takes a dabble in the NFL. No, no pun intended there with dabble, but... No. No, I think there's been far too many um, coaching unsuccesses in uh going from college to the nfl um i think he'd be kind of good in the nfl though you think so because he's he's not a hands-on guy you know he really is the ceo guy and i don't think he i don't know if he ever will the money's too good in college right now as we've seen but you know Dabo, i, I could i could see Dabo being a good nfl head coach you know i, th I think it's just that ceo mentality you let the coordinators kind of do your thing he doesn't specialize in anything. He doesn't call offense. He doesn't call defense. He just knows how to kind of run a program. Um, I, to me, it's just as the whole – because the whole Dabo shtick is so much more for the, the public and the media than what it actually is behind closed doors, which is um, not at all like good old Dabo Sweeney and little old Clemson. Like, he's a hard ass behind closed doors. We just don't see that. So, I, I think he would actually do a pretty good job of relating to NFL guys. But I don't know. Just an interesting thought. Um, Rams, Jaguars, get right game for the Rams. Odell Beckham had an awesome touchdown catch. Uh, I that, that was a really, really great play. It was like the one yard line. It was crazy. Fade. Yeah. He basically just threw it like, like uh, to his dead right, like 90 degree snap, boom, because they were on the one. It was a great catch by Odell uh, and a really good throw from Stafford as well. Um, the Jags. Urban Meyer, I think, is a higher chance of being one and done. But for whatever reason, it feels like the ownership group there, um, the cons, really like Urban Meyer. I just – I it, it feels like more and more like they're risking ruining Trevor Lawrence. And that, to me, is, is undefensible. 
yeah, he's shown everything in the the first what thirteen, well, twelve games that they've played that um, that he's got the skills to be successful in this league. I, I agree with you, though. I don't think that it's the situation for, and it's it's a confluence of things, right? It's not that Urban Meyer is not a good coach. That's beyond the the question. Uh, but what's transpired this year uh, off the field? Um, the whole just him coming back um, after, you know, being saying he he wanted to to stay away from football and then taking this job because Trevor Lawrence was available and it was going to be the Jags pick. Like all all of that in and of itself to me feels like the spotlight in Jacksonville is more on Urban Meyer than it is on Trevor Lawrence and it should be on Trevor Lawrence because he is going to be the success of that franchise moving forward. Uh, regardless of of coach uh, or or uh, ownership, so I think they need to know um, what they have in Trevor Lawrence and the talent exactly. that's there, and recognize the lack of development in one year, and yep. and, and say you, we we cannot keep on doing this, and and risk spending two years of of potentially wasting away one of the best college quarterbacks we've seen in in the last thirty years, and, and I'm amazed at the amount of people that aren't high on Trevor Lawrence. Like it, it literally blows my mind. He's I don't so know good. if it's the long hair. I, I mean, that dude should be an NFL quarterback for 20 years, maybe not 20, but at least 10 like that. Like he is so talented and the stuff he can do, the little things that he does that he's doing in spite of the offense, the play calling and the talent around him. I get it. He hasn't looked good, but there's only so much he can do, man. And, and a lot of football fans want to hold it against them. I think they're wrong for doing so. I think the Jags need to make a decision. They got to make it quick. Yeah. Uh, the Washington football team, they win their fourth straight, a nail biter, really entertaining game against the Raiders. That game was really fun to watch uh, because even though it was low scoring, it was a great little combination of really good defense, a couple of good offensive plays uh, and, and execution when they needed to. And the Raiders go down, they score, they, they take the lead, and all of a sudden, Heineke, back on his bullshit, comes back and leads them down the field, kicks a field goal, and the Washington football team wins. Uh, I, was, I was actually watching the game with a Washington football team fan, and uh, my man was, was, was stoked to see it happen. And, um, and look, I, like, I love Ron Rivera. He, he is built, you know, again, that buzzword we love to use in sports, culture, which, like, what does that even mean? I mean, it can mean a million different Especially things. Especially in Washington. <laughs> but that backbone, you know, that resiliency, that, you know, in spite of our own shortcomings in certain situations, to come out and win that game, uh, I was really impressed. And Ty- Taylor Heineke, Heineke, whatever his name is, ODU alum, uh, doing a hell of a job, doing a really hell of a job. So I guess the question for them is, uh, are they the second best team in the NFC East? Yeah, I think so. Um, that defense, and and that's the reason why, is uh, for as good as the Eagles are playing on offense uh, and better on defense, as you said, uh, the Washington defense is not only more talented, but is playing equally uh, as better as the uh, as the Philadelphia Eagles defense. So uh, the edge goes to the the defensive play number one and number two, the talent, because to me, they're very similar. Yeah. Uh, 
starting to get the running game going. Great. We've got Antonio Gibson, right? Um, who's, who's just starting to erupt. That's, that's a second excellent game in a row. Uh, quarterback who can do things is a playmaker likes to run, but needs the ball in his hands late in the game. Uh, Jalen hurts and Taylor Heineke, same thing. Um, <clears throat> To me, the, the the real defense is on on the defensive side of the ball, and Washington's just far more talented on that defensive side uh, than than Philadelphia is, uh, and so that's why I'm giving them the edge as the as the second best team in the division. So I agree. I actually do think Washington is the second best team in the NFC East, but I disagree with you. I think the Eagles are a far more talented team on de- especially on the defensive side of the ball. When you just look at the players, right? Like the the best player on defense for both teams. Who's the best defensive player for, for Washington right now? Landon Collins. Uh, Montez Sweat is out. Chase Young's out. So, you know, John Payne. You yeah. know, Deron Payne, Jonathan Abram. I mean, Darius Slay's better than any of those guys at their own position. Darius Slay's been arguably the best cornerback in football this year. Um, Fletcher Cox, Josh Sweat, uh, Javon Hardgrave. I think the defensive line, Eagles, linebacking core. Jaron Davis, I like as a rookie out of Kentucky, but other than that, I think it's probably a push because both of them are pretty weak at linebacker. Ryden McLeod is way better in coverage than Landon Dickerson or Landon uh, Collins is, and and Rodney McLeod is is also a really good defense uh, run stopper, but not quite as good as Landon Collins. So I would say I would actually give the edge of the Eagles there. The difference is Ron Rivera is a really good defensive coach, and Jonathan Gannon's a fucking moron. So if if you swap defenses here, the talent on the Eagles defense would and being coached under Ron Rivera, the Eagles would be like a top 10 defense. But instead, they have Jonathan Gannon, who's a fucking idiot and who also has the benefit of a team that knows how to play ball control over the last five weeks because they've been running it so much that they're keeping the ball out of the offense's hands. So it skews all the numbers to make it seem like the Eagles have a better defense than they actually have. Um but that is exactly why Washington, to me, is the better football team. Because it's not necessarily saying who's the more talented team, it's who's the better team. And Ron Rivera has coached them to a level because he's such a good coach, because of his experience, because he knows how to get the most out of his guys and he knows how to coach at this level, that he has built Washington into a better team that knows how to win games ugly. The Eagles don't know how to win ugly games yet. They either blow teams out or they they lose and and get kind of blown out themselves the eagles don't know how to win close games yet and that is something that comes directly that's directly correlated to who your head coach is and the experience and the way that they're coached and that's why i would say washington's a better football team but i actually think the eagles are a more talented rosters and on both sides of the ball you know mclaurin's better than any wide receiver that the eagles have but goddard and Devontae smith is a better pass catching combination than anything washington has with mclaurin and then pick whoever pass catcher you have there for Washington running backs is a push. And then offensive line Eagles and quarterback Hertz has probably been a little bit better than Heineke, but not by a whole lot. So the difference there is coaching and, and Rivera knows how to get a team ready to make a playoff push. So that's why I'd have Washington ahead. Um, the game that I am very proud that I picked this game. There's some games you pick ahead of time where you go like, you know what? I just had a feeling and I, I just kind of went with my gut and for whatever reason, throw the record books out in these kinds of rivalry games. And I picked the Steelers. I picked the Steelers not only to cover the four and a half, I picked them to win 
And sure as shit, they did. Even though it took Lamar Jackson fucking up a two-point conversion pass that was wide open that was there to do it. Oh, my God. Yeah. The Steelers still found a way to win that game. Uh, the day after all those... I, I was so funny when that Schefter report came out that it was like, Big Ben has has told close friends and, and teammates that this will likely be his last year. It's like, uh, you think? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, what what we've been talking about? What are you fucking talking about? Like, yes, we get it, Shefty. You have to you have to jerk off the, the agents of these players to keep these relationships so you can break stories down the line and fatten your own bank account. I get it. But like, come on. Just like Cliff Kingsbury was never actually a candidate to be the head coach at Oklahoma, but you send that story out, you get a little, you rub a little bit USC. of elbows with the yeah. agents, you know, or when Lincoln Riley left, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, you're right. you're they right. said yeah. he, w- he was potentially going to be the head coach at Oklahoma. Now I will say there actually have been some, this is not me reporting this, but I do have some sources who have said that the, Cliff Kingsbury, the money that's been thrown around to college football coaches in the last couple of weeks has piqued the interest of one Cliff Kingsbury and that Oregon isn't out of the question. More realistic than Oklahoma was. Not saying it's likely and chances are it's probably not going to happen, but something to, file, imagine? something to file away for a future, right? Let's say the, let's say the one Cardinals... One seed in the NFC. Let's say the Cardinals go... go to, right. Let's say the Cardinals go 14 and through this year. They're the one seed in the AFC. Right or in the NFC, and they lose in the playoffs, and the next year they have a down season. They go seven and ten, or or eight and nine, or whatever the the numbers are now. I wouldn't be shocked, man. Hundred hundred million dollars is nothing to sniff at, and if the right job at the right time opens up, I don't think Cliff is cut for the recruiting cloth and all that stuff, but just something to keep an eye on. Anyway, off topic. Steelers win this game. Um, and, and what we said on, on Friday was proven true, which is that the Ravens are not a good football team. I like the Ravens. I love Lamar Jackson. I love John Harbaugh. But now Marlon Humphrey's done for the year with a torn pec muscle, who's their best defensive player. Um, they're not going to be able to stop anybody in the passing game. And even the run game has not been great. Calais Campbell, as much as I think people like him, he's significantly past his prime. So he's not the same guy run stuffer that he was when he was at Arizona and, and, and places before Baltimore. Uh, Jacksonville, I think he was in Jacksonville as well for a long time, right? Because he was in Jacksonville, then Arizona, then he went to Baltimore. Do I have that timeline correct? Yeah, I believe so. <laughs> he actually may have never played in Arizona. I might have made that up. Um, uh, that sounds right. I feel like he did, right? I don't know. Anyway. The Ravens are in trouble, and the Ravens – I mean, the, the AFC is just who wants to be good? Who wants – I mean, New England, if they win tonight, they're 9-4. and four. They're the number one seed in the AFC. If the Bills win tonight, they're 8-4, and four, and I'm pretty – or they're uh, – yeah, they're 8-4 and because yeah. they're 7-4 and four right now. And then the Bills would be the number one team in the AFC. So <laughs> it's open season. Whoever wants to win because – you know what I mean? Like, whoever wants this uh, – Including the Chiefs. I don't know. I, I don't really have a question for this game other than like I'll, I'll phrase it this way. Who's <laughs> what is the Baltimore? <laughs> who is the best team in the AFC North? Because the Browns had a bye this week and they're not technically out of it yet. I think they're six and six. Uh the 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 Steelers are six to five and one. 
The Ravens are eight and four and the Bengals are seven and five. I mean, the Bengals could have won this week and they would have been in first place in the, in the AFC. Yeah. It's just the, the, the AFC West, and the AFC North are just completely up for grabs. And it's why now the chiefs did a little bit last night to help cement that, but not by a whole lot because the Chargers went on and beat Cincinnati. So who's the best team in the AFC North? One word answer. I, Ravens still. I I still think they're better on, on both sides of the ball than uh, – they're the most complete team, uh, the more complete team than, than Cincinnati was. I thought Cincinnati was before, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm retracting a little bit. I think it's the Ravens. Still. I, think it's, I think it's the Bengals. I think the Bengals uh, without Marlon Humphreys, without Marlon Humphreys, and also think about this too. Like the Ravens have been doing this all year without J.K. Dobbins or Gus Edwards. <laughs> you know, like they're running I mean, the ball like this with Latavius Murray and and Devontae Freeman. Both looked good yesterday. They they really did. Love me some. Hey, I picked up Devontae Freeman in our fantasy league. Your boys making know, a comeback. I, I know we don't talk a lot of fantasy on this pod. But I was yeah, Jeff has di- taken a nosedive. I went what like I was like seven and one, yeah. and then I lost four straight. Lost four out of the last five. Yeah, but not this week. <laughs> not this week. I'm back. I'm. I'll probably jump. But there's also like a. I'm in fourth, and the the You're three go teams ahead of me. I'm gonna jump up to second most likely this week. Yeah, your brother-in-law so, is gonna be in first. Yeah, I'm gonna show him who's boss. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and what's crazy is too is I'm doing that without. Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, um, or and I still have Josh Allen tonight, but without either of them having a good day, it's just Miles Sanders had a big day. And your, they, and your Freeman had a big up. day. Yeah. Eli Mitchell, and uh, yeah, picking up the Chiefs defense last night was a was a great steal. Um, your squad, the Niners, Seahawks. Ugh. I don't think there's a whole lot to um to take away from this game, other than do you have any words to say to your daddy, Russell Wilson, because he owns you, bro. Dude, he does. He owns um, your ass. 17 and yeah. nine in his career against the 49ers. That's wild. Um, I want you to say to me, Russell Wilson is my daddy. I'm not going to say it. Say he's it. just a good quarterback. I'm not going to say it. Say it. He's a good quarterback. Good quarterback. He's um, your daddy. Look, man. Will you say he's I, your stepdaddy? No. <laughs> I hate Seattle so much. Uh, no, I knew this was kind of like – this to me, from the the moment that they converted that fake punt to the fake to punt for the touchdown, up for a touchdown, yeah. Uh, right then and there, th- that place was rocking louder than it ever had all year, and and I just had this feeling that 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 was it. Um, but I, they stuffed. The I still thought I still thought reason. San Francisco was going to win the game. Like watching the rest of that first half unfold, it still looked like San Francisco was going to come back and win the game. We couldn't, we couldn't do anything on offense. We couldn't run the ball in the second half. We, which is how we start opening things up because otherwise Jimmy G can't be as efficient as he usually is. Uh, I'll I'll be nice, uh, Jeff, because he did have a pretty decent game otherwise. Um, And then on defense, you just gifted them how many yards and penalties. There was one drive we gave, uh, that they that Seattle ended up scored a, a touchdown on. We gave them 30 yards in free penalties, both on personal fouls. They end up inside the 10, and three plays later, it's it's an Adrian Peterson touchdown. And I'm like, well, <laughs> hello. <laughs> um, and so it's just bad secondary play. Uh, Emmanuel Mosley got hurt and never came back, so we were relying on 
uh, on Lenore, who's a rookie covering DK Metcalf. Guess who's going to win that battle? And um, and uh, Josh Norman out on the other side with Tyler Lockett, uh, who's Josh Norman, phenomenal quarterback over or cornerback over his career. Just an absolutely pathetic. He had like year. one good year. He he looks like a shell of himself, man. He had one good um, year in Carolina, and everyone talked about him as like one of the best cornerbacks. He had one good yeah, he, year. He didn't the year play they well went in to Washington. the Super Bowl. Yeah. He's never yeah. been good since. So, so yeah. Uh, and and that's our secondary, right? Jaquiski Tark got hurt too. So like, but literally, we we are playing with uh, uh, the most banged up, but no Debo uh, thin secondary, and no Debo either. No Debo was a, a was big the, difference in the hundred percent. Yeah. So I still like San Francisco. I still think San Francisco makes the playoffs. I still think they're a team that you don't want to play because of the way they can run the ball, uh, because of Kyle Shanahan. Uh, and, and look, they had been on a, a really good streak, but they'd won three in a row before this game. I, I think yeah. I, I think a loss was in the cards no matter what. It, whether it was this yeah. week, next week, I think it was going to come. Uh, but I still like San Francisco. And yeah, it, it's, a divisional, it's a divisional matchup, yeah. right? And you're like you said, you're playing in one of the hardest places to play in all of football. Um, last game, Broncos, Chiefs. The Chiefs didn't look awesome. Now, I saw a bunch about the weather and, and all this other stuff. Last night, to me, was huge for the Chiefs' defense. But the offense didn't look any better. And this is what I go back to last week when I did this whole, who do you trust, you know, monologue. And, and I said, you know, I get it. Mahomes deserves a certain amount of the benefit of the doubt because of what he's accomplished at this point in his career. But... It's still only his fourth season. He's in year number four. And we've already anointed him as this unbelievable quarterback. He, it's okay if he has a bad year. It's okay if he has a drop back, right? Because his, the, the bar he set as a first-year starter, his second year in the league, was so astronomically high, winning the MVP, and then going to the AFC Championship game and being a D4 at offsides penalty away from, from going to the Super Bowl his first year starting and then winning the Super Bowl his next year and then going to the Super Bowl again and losing in his third year, like, it's okay if he doesn't have a great year. And it's also okay to kind of question the Chiefs a little bit here, even though we all respect and understand how good Mahomes is. It is okay to question him a little bit. And going against a good defense, he didn't look great yesterday. So I guess, again, going back to this question thing, like, look, the Chiefs, they won the game. The defense has really stepped up the Broncos they it's crazy that they still don't have a quarterback I I don't know if they go after Rodgers I don't know if they go after Russell Wilson I don't know if they draft like Kenny Pickett or one of these like young guys who might come in and help them win right away you know I I I don't know but the Chiefs the offense for what everyone was saying like oh the offense is fixed they're going to be back Mahomes Mahomes still didn't look great last night they ran yeah. the ball pretty well, and, and I will absolutely give them credit for that. For the first time, it feels like, you know what? The Chiefs actually ran the ball pretty well in this game. Um, they had 89 total yards, which I know doesn't sound like a ton, but for them, it actually is. But Mahomes goes 15 of 29 for 184 in the interception, zero touchdowns. It doesn't make you feel good. It's just it's sacked it's, six times, too. I mean, your leading wide receiver was Daryl Williams. And then after that, yeah. it was Clyde edwards Lair. So your top two receivers were your two running backs. And then 
Travis Kelsey gets targeted eight times, only gets three catches. Tyree Kill gets targeted five times, only gets two catches. I'm not feeling great about the offense moving forward. And it's also only a one-game split between them and the Chargers, and they have to play again, and the Chargers already won one game. Yeah. The Chiefs are not a secure, like, AFC West champion by any means. I don't think so either. Um, but – I. I, there are two things to me, and both both stick out on on each of these defenses. One, the Broncos' defense is absolutely electric, like legitimately one of the best defenses in the land. And you know they lost the game, but you only give up twenty two to Patrick Mahomes, Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, and shut those three guys down. Largely, uh, that's a pretty good day on defense, despite losing the ball game. And for the Broncos on offense, I don't know what the hell's going on. Uh, look, Javante Williams had a great game. Jerry Judy got more involved, but like other than that, like it's been the same stagnant crap. Kind of like the the pattern we were talking about with Mike Zimmer is is the offense that that uh, Fangio and and is putting out on the field. So like I don't know where how secure that job is either. Yeah, Teddy, Bridge, Teddy Bridgewater did, did, out through Mahomes by seventy yards in this game. Just wanted to throw that yeah, out there. It's wild. Yeah. And so for the Chiefs defense who held the Broncos offense to nine points, was that a product of the Chiefs defense playing better or how bad the Broncos offense actually is, which I think is probably pretty bad. Um, perhaps a little bit of both uh, based on the game. The, Bron- the Chiefs defense has played uh, better and better. They've gotten, they've improved each week, I think, over the, over this past couple of games that they won in a row. Um, but man, I, you know, you put the Chiefs up against the uh, a really good electric offense in the AFC right now. Like, uh, I, hell, I'll even say like Buffalo. Like, I think that game is not close. I really don't. I I don't know, man. Uh, I'd be and I'll say this too. I think Kansas City and New yeah. England is a really bad matchup for the yeah. Chiefs. Yeah, it's another one. A team that can run uh, yeah. the ball on. Yeah. So here's where we yeah. stand right and the now. The AFC's wide open, dude. So I was just going to get to this. So here's where we stand right now before we take a break, hit college football and wrap up the pot. AFC, New England's in first place before they play Monday night. Uh, they are eight and four, could be nine and four, could be eight and five by the end of the night. They are going into their bye next week. They're in first place in the AFC. Then you have the Titans at eight and four, the Ravens at eight and four, and the Chiefs at eight and four. And then in the wild card, you have the Bills at seven and four, could be in first place by the end of the night. By the time we're recording this now, uh, and then you have the Chargers at seventy-five and the Bengals at seventy-five in the hunt. You got the Steelers, the Colts, and the Raiders, and even the Browns still hanging around. The Broncos still hanging around, and then it kind of drops off there with Miami and whatnot. And then the NFC, you have the Cardinals in first place, ten and two. Green Bay, they had their bye this week. They're nine and three. They have that tiebreaker against Arizona, so it's important for Arizona to keep winning games. Uh, then you have the Buccaneers at nine and three. Cowboys at eight and four Rams at eight and four wild card situation uh, starts with the Rams at eight and four. And then you have the Washington football team at six and six, San Francisco at six and six. And then just in the hunt, we have the Eagles at six and seven. They're going into their bye, and then Minnesota at five and seven. And that's Carolina, Atlanta, New Orleans. I think they're out. So the playoff picture in the NFC, that last spot, Looks there's last four spots. It's going to be between Washington, San Francisco, Philly, and Minnesota. In the AFC, it's most likely going to be uh, either the Bills or Pats, depending on how that shakes out. And then Chargers, Bengals, 
Steelers and Colts. Uh, Colts are six and five. The Steelers are six, five, or sorry, the Colts are seven and six. The Steelers are six, five and one. And then the Raiders six and six Brown, six and six Broncos, six and six. So AFC, like you said, man, completely wide open. Give me one, two words, one name MVP after week 13. Jonathan Taylor. You're still wrong. Uh, it is probably, I mean, Tom Brady's leading the league in completions, uh, attempts, ironically enough, uh, touchdowns and yards. I'm still going to give it to Aaron Rodgers. Uh, even though they had a bye this week, I'm not going to change mine. You didn't change yours. So that's where we're at. All right, quick break. Come back to hit college football, wrap up the pod, get you on to your week. College football conference championship weekend did not disappoint. It was an awesome slate of games. Honestly, I know everyone loves rivalry weekend because there's so many amazing games and it's all this extra motivation. You get crazy outcomes like the Auburn Alabama game that are unexpected, but the way that conference championship game is scheduled where it's like, you have a great game Friday night, usually the PAC 12 championship. And then you get like two games at a time, two, maybe three games at a time, like schedule out throughout the day. It's perfect for like watching football. Like you're sitting on the couch. I had one TV on whatever the main game wanted to watch. And then another TV on there. My JMU Dukes cruised in the, uh, in their first round, second round matchup against uh, Southeast Louisiana. They won by like 39, absolutely crushed them. Uh, shout out Cole Johnson through six touch. I had six total touchdowns through five. They got some shout outs on ESPN. It was awesome. Um, but the Dukes were by far not the biggest storyline on Saturday. Uh, instead, we saw number one Georgia and a defense that looked infallible go down pretty easily to a really, really good Alabama team who, cert- you know, absolutely grasped that number one overall ranking and did not let it go. So with that win in Atlanta over the weekend, Alabama becomes the number one team in the college football playoff. Georgia falls down to number three. All right. And then we had the Big Ten championship game, which is a little bit later on in the day. We had Michigan dismantle Iowa. Uh, the trick play, the touchdown pass, the 75-yard touchdown pass from Donovan Edwards, the, the, the running back was awesome. One of the best throws I've seen a running back make on a, on a trick play in a long time. Uh, and then I, Michigan just absolutely dominated from then on out, more or less. It was still kind of close at halftime. I think it was only like a 12-point game or so. And, uh, and Michigan just never let it get even closer than that. Cincinnati cruises past Houston. Again, close in the first half. It was a four-point game at the end of the first quarter. Uh, even got down to a one-point game at halftime for Cincinnati to just explode for 21 straight points. Uh, unanswered points as well to to handle Houston, put them aside. Cincinnati becomes the first group of five team to make the college football playoff. That deserves a round of applause, Scotty. Come on, let me see those hands. Come on, Scotty. You can't see, but Scotty's begrudgingly clapping his hands here. I don't know why. Everyone loves Cincinnati. Uh, but those are the three games. That yeah, happened, right? mostly for Michigan. Bama, Georgia, that game in playing the results. Those are the three games that matter. The one game that mattered that broke 
away from the team that was actually going to have a chance to make the college World playoff was the big 12 championship with Oklahoma state and Baylor, which when we say this game came down to inches, it came down to inches. All right. The, the stud, we talked about him on Friday's pod, Jalen, uh, God, why am I blanking on his last name? I've only, I've only been saying his last name all year. Warren, is that his name? No, God. The running back from Oklahoma State um, has been phenomenal all year. The Utah State transfer, kid's been incredible. He had an injury all week and had been playing kind of injured throughout the year. He was an 1,100-yard rusher this season, did not play a single snap for Oklahoma State in this game. And Oklahoma State had... I believe the number was 17 plays in the red zone. Uh, In addition, I think it was 10 plays within the 10-yard line of Baylor. And they scored only one time in this game. Uh, And the final play coming down to a fourth and goal from the one-yard line. Baylor had multiple one-yard uh, on the one yard line, multiple stands on the one yard line defensively. And that last play, if you haven't seen it, stop listening to the pod, click pause right now and go watch it because the running back from Oklahoma state takes it all the way to the pylon. And I'm telling you, it's as close of a final play as you'll ever see in sports and, and football. And it was inches, inches from Oklahoma state getting it. And it was the difference between Oklahoma state going to the college football playoff potentially to not even winning the Big 12 championship. Baylor with a uh, a quarterback who was their backup, uh, Shapin, Blake Shapin, comes out, only his second career start, and he goes 17 of 17 to open up the game. Unbelievable performance from the Baylor Bears, and they end the Oklahoma State Cowboys play, college football playoff hopes, which honestly was good because it kind of cemented Cincinnati's place in the college football playoff. If Oklahoma state had won that game on that last play, an extra two inches that would have crossed the goal line. I don't know what would have happened. There's a really strong argument that Oklahoma state would have leapfrogged Cincinnati. I don't, I hope I like to think that wouldn't have happened, but chances are probably would have given, you know, the committee and and their bias towards the group of five. Yes, given their history, I would have no doubt that that would have happened. And the uproar this week would have been, and the next three weeks really, would have been just uh, absurd. Uh, and rightly so, but we don't have to worry about that anymore. Uh, that was a great play by uh, by Jaron McVeigh um, at the end of that game. Because that play, they, it, was, it was like a, uh, a counter play, right? So running back dives inside and then bounces outside. He's got nothing but green in front of him. The entire line for Baylor collapses. And McVay just sprints faster than I've ever seen anyone in human history sprint, including uh, Usain Bolt, to get out to that on that angle, which was a perfect angle, by the way, and make the play to, to tackle uh, uh, Desmond Jackson uh, just, just short of the goal line. Uh, just unbelievable. And for a team Baylor who – who did not score in the second half. It was 21 to six, I believe at halftime. Mm-hmm. Baylor did not score in the second half, ends up winning the game. Now that's, that's a well-coached defensive team. And Dave Aranda's done an amazing job with that defense and, uh, and the offense too, but, uh, but credit to that defense for sticking in there that entire game. That, that Oklahoma state offense has been really, uh, 
really aggressive all year long. And, uh, and Baylor did a really good job containing him. So kudos to the Bears. My, my neighbors are uh, Baylor fans. They got a son at Baylor, so sick them. I'm glad to see they're going to New Year's Six Bowl. And you were on them, man. You and I both – so we both went four and two in our college football uh, picks here this past weekend. And we also both went eight and five to this point in the NFL. So we'll see what happens with the New England game tonight. But a really great picks weekend for us. Uh, Spencer Sanders, the quarterback for Oklahoma State, had four interceptions. That was the difference. And, by the way, it is Jalen Warren – I did have that right. Uh, he would, did not play in this game. And, uh, and you have to think if he's in this game, they're able with how strong and tough and, and he's that bowling ball, that short, stocky. I'm telling you, he's going to be an NFL guy, even if he's not like a, like a, a an elite running back in the NFL. He's going to play in the NFL. Um, Jalen Warren, you know, I, I would think with his toughness and his strength and, and especially stuff he's done on the goal line this year, that at least one of those two trips – to the goal line when they got stopped on four straight plays twice at the one yard line, he would have pounded one of those in. And instead we're looking at Oklahoma state playing in uh, a new year six bowl. Uh, I forget who they're playing. It's, it's not, is it all no Baylor's playing Ole Miss. It's Oklahoma state. Uh, they're, yeah, playing the Dame. Ball, right? they're playing Notre Dame. They're playing Notre Dame. Yeah. That's who Oklahoma state's playing. They're playing the Fiesta bowl. Um, which uh, should actually be a really entertaining game, Oklahoma State and, and Notre Dame. But there's a bunch of really good bowl games, Baylor, Ole Miss, and the Sugar Bowl, uh, Irish. Yeah, the Outback Bowl. The Outba- yeah, well, come on, let's be honest. Penn State getting an Outback Bowl is <laughs> – We're going to get demolished. It's criminal. <laughs> you guys are playing Arkansas, right? Arkansas. That actually <laughs> – yeah, see, I think that's going to be a pretty good game. <laughs> I, I just can't believe that we're at 7-5 gonna... and five that they gave, they gave Penn State the Outback Bowl. And you know how I felt about Penn State. Penn State's a better team than they've gotten credit for all year. I don't know why we're going back down to the Penn State tangent here. But um, we have our four teams. They're set. All right. The other two comp- Power Five Conference Championship games, uh, Utah beat the piss out of Oregon. We talked about that at the Open. And uh, Pitt, Kenny Pickett with the coolest move, the fake slide on the on the opening drive before he ran it for a 58-yard touchdown. Yeah. Uh, Kenny P. about that? Um, so I'll say this, he's the first person to do it and he got away with it, but there will be a rule probably in the NFL and college football moving forward that you can't do that because, um, if you're going to give yourself up, you give yourself up, which I hate that rule. And I hate how weirdly it gets enforced, but there's no denying that him doing that fake slide and then quickly, you know, and then popping right back up and somehow he he didn't tear everything in his knee and was still moving full yeah, speed and, and, and ran it all the way. Um, I think on all sides, that's going to be a rule. That's the second you start to give that little bit of motion, they're going to call it dead. Um, but it's a gray area. And well, yeah, it's to- the same on the, on the, on the defensive side, you, you slow the guy up enough that, that he's risking injury too. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And, and the quick cut. And, yeah, so. and the defensive guys, you know, like it, the whole rules to, supposed to protect the quarterback and, and the limit targeting and stuff. And we've, we've seen a lot of players get called for targeting on, on bang, bang plays there. And so defenses and defensive players have become less aggressive on those play calls. And when, when you see a quarterback start to slow up, they don't want to get the targeting. So they slow up immediately. So you have to help up the defensive player a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised at all. If we see a rule come in there that you, you can't do the fake slide, but Credit for Kenny Pickett for finding the loophole in the gray area and, and turning it into a big game. Uh, that game was was really fun to watch, and, and Pitt 
you know, after it looked like Baylor had kind of had control, they were up 21-14 at the end of the first quarter. Uh, Pitt's defense did not allow a point for the rest of the game. And Kenny Pickett proving why he's going to be most likely the first quarterback taken in the draft this year because uh, he had an unbelievable, unbelievable game. Uh, and, and again, that leaves us now with our four final teams. So you have Alabama playing Cincinnati, and we have Michigan playing Georgia. I love this, right? You have the perennial powerhouse, the Death Star, Darth Vader, and, and, and Nick Saban in Alabama going up against the pluckiest of plucky underdogs, this Cincinnati team, who, by the way, has two of the best cornerbacks in all of college football, who are also elite when it comes to their speed on the field. And John Mechie, unfortunately, tore his ACL in that game uh, for Alabama. So Alabama will, will be without their best wide receiver. So Cincinnati actually has cornerbacks who can, who will be able to hang with the wide receivers there. They have edge rushers who we saw with Auburn. You don't need necessarily elite of the edge rushers. You just need NFL caliber edge rushers. And that's what Cincinnati has. So I actually think Cincinnati's defense, if they play their absolute best and force a couple turnovers and get a little lucky, can do some things to slow down this Alabama offense. Uh, Ford, the running back for um, Cincinnati was initially an Alabama recruit and he transferred to Cincinnati. So there's a little revenge game factor there with Cincinnati uh, and Desmond Ritter versus Bryce Young, kind of similar looking quarterbacks, both mobile. I think this game will be a little more competitive than people think. Uh, I, I do think Alabama will win. And I think they'll probably win comfortably, but I do. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Cincinnati actually gives them a game here. And um, I really hope they do because if they don't, then the committee and, and the public perception of group of five versus power five is going to stay the same, right? It's going to stay as, oh, well, Cincinnati got the shit kicked yeah, out by be Alabama. The, see, I told you so. Even yeah. though Oklahoma and Washington and Michigan State and Oregon and all these other schools that have played in the, in the college football playoff, Ohio <laughs> State, they've all gotten their doors blown off in the first round before too. So it really shouldn't be an indictment of it, but people will look at it that way for not only Cincinnati, but for the entire group of five. And I hope that doesn't happen. So maybe it's wishful thinking, but I do think Cincinnati will give them some sort of a game. And then on the other side, Michigan, Georgia is a really interesting matchup because I think Michigan, there's a case that Michigan has the best offensive line in college football and they're going up against probably the best defensive line in, in Georgia. Yeah. But Michigan's defensive line is not too far behind my friend. No, not at all. Not at all. And, and we saw that, you know, Will Anderson and, and, and honestly, Alabama's offensive line handled uh, that Georgia front pretty well. And there's going to be some stuff on film that I think Michigan can take advantage of. Uh, if they have a game like they played against Ohio state in that offensive line, I think it's going to be really hard to run against those linebackers at Georgia. Uh, and, and Cade McNamara has to have the game of his life in order to, cause they're not going to be able to run the ball as well as they did against Ohio state or anybody else. Like you are playing uh, a team like Alabama can beat you beat. They want to beat you through the air more so than they beat you on the ground. So they were kind of running the ball to keep the defense honest from what they wanted to do, which was pass it. Whereas Michigan wants to be able to run the ball and then keep you honest, you know, with their passing game and, and kind of take shots when they're there. So it's going to take a, a huge effort from the Michigan front to be able to really handle that Georgia D line. Look, we're going to have, you know, several weeks to break down this matchup. And I look forward to doing that in, in more depth than now, 
Um, but I think the Michigan Georgia game could be really good. And, and I also think that Cincinnati can give Alabama a fight. Is there anything there that you think I missed or that you want to add uh, when it comes to what we see very, very early impressions for the college football playoff? No, I think the way that the defensive scheme set up in both of these games, there's a real shot to have a Michigan Cincinnati championship game, like a, awesome a real legitimate be. shot. How incredible. Wouldn't would that, that be, be insane? I would love it. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think there's an, an actual real legitimate chance, not just speaking as like a better or, or, or a wishful thinker of, uh, you know, look, we've seen some new blood now in the, in the college football playoff. I want them to, to make the championship. No, I think there's a legitimate shot um, based on the way that, uh, that these teams will scheme it up. So um, it, it'll, I think it'll be one of the more fun um, rounds of quarterfinals that uh, of course that's the death knell, uh, but one of the more fun rounds of, uh, of quarterfinals that we've seen in uh, or semifinals that, that we've seen in a, in a long time. I'm looking now. I want to see if there's a lot. Okay, so the early lines have come out. And yep. right now, Alabama is a 13-and-a-half-point favorite against Cincinnati, which I think is fair. Uh, mm, and yeah. Georgia is a 7-and-a-half-point favorite against Michigan. Um, Eat them up. I think Georgia is going to come out like a bat out of hell. Again, these are early. The these, are not our, these are not our <laughs> official picks. But – I mean, given the history of, of semifinal games and college football playoff stuff, uh, I think Georgia – and Kirby Smart said it to his credit. I mean, he took the loss incredibly well um, considering, you know, they were undefeated and how good Georgia was going into it. But he pointed out, like, Alabama has not been the same team since they lost to Texas A&M. You know, yes, they had the close, law, the close win against uh, LSU and the close win against Auburn, but we've also seen them blow some teams out in that process too. And I think the get right mentality for Georgia is going to be there. So I think Georgia deservedly is the favorite in that game. And I think Alabama deservedly is the favorite, but I'm with you, Scotty. I would be surprised if we had a Cincinnati Michigan final, I'm not going to lie, but I'll say this now. I think there's a very, very strong likelihood that one of those two teams win. And I'll say this too. I think Georgia and Michigan has a chance to be kind of like what Oklahoma and Georgia was a couple of years ago with Baker Mayfield and the Rose Bowl. Yeah, that was the yeah. that was the best game of the college football playoff era, minus the Alabama Georgia national championship game. It was definitely the best yep. semifinal game we had. So uh, I hope that we have something similar to that, and we end up having a you know a really competitive playoff here. And and for any if for as much as anything, I just want Cincinnati to. To, to, to really save face. And you got to remember this too. Cincinnati played Georgia in a bowl game last year and arguably Cincinnati should have won. So Cincinnati and yeah. those guys, it's not like they've never gone up against big ass defensive linemen, big ass offensive linemen before that you see in the SEC. They, they have, but Desmond Ritter is going to have to play out of his head and they're going to have to force some turnovers to, if they want to win the game, but don't be shocked if Cincinnati keeps it close. That's all I'm saying. And also don't be shocked if Alabama beats them by 30. Anything can happen in these, in these semifinal games. Um, and, and who knows what we see out of Alabama. Um, and I guess the last part of this too is just, I think Bryce Young sealed up the Heisman, even though I still think, and when you put the total body of work, Will Anderson, um, Aiden Hutchinson, even Jordan Davis, like, 
there are guys out there who are better players at their position and the Heisman is supposed to go to the most outstanding player in the country, not necessarily the best offensive player or the best quarterback or the best running back, just the most outstanding player. Um, it, it, I think it is inarguable at this point that after what Bryce Young did against Georgia, after how good Georgia had been averaging less than seven points a game defensively, Bryce Young has won the Heisman after what we saw. And and ballots were due today, yeah. so we'll we'll find out. Um, I agree. Know, in the next couple of weeks, I agree, and I think he won in that that final the overtime drive against Auburn. And yeah, I think that was from the, the winner fourth and, quarter and drive on against Georgia. Sealed it. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you want to add, if you want to say five quarters because of the overtime, but from the end of the fourth quarter against Auburn, yeah. that drive to tie the game to the end of the Georgia game, uh, it, it's hard to argue otherwise. And I'll tell you what. That kid is going to be awesome in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Brock Hewer mm -hmm. today on our show said that he reminds him of a hybrid combination of Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson. <laughs> Which, when you it hear that, like a terrible quarterback. When you hear that, your 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 heart kind of skips a beat a little bit. Like, holy shit, that's that's something. So, uh. That's all we got. This was a long pod. We're right around that two-hour mark, so we're going to call it a day. Uh, have a wonderful Go week, Dukes. everybody. Go Dukes. Beat the Grizz. They're playing. Hey, look at you. Locked into the, the JMU Dukes. Uh, fun fact, JMU's first national championship, they beat Montana to win it. So this is, And I believe it's the first time we've played them since. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun, fun game. Uh, I'm sure Bridgeforth is going to be on fire. Uh, and, and I'll tell you what. I don't want to mess with the Dukes because this is the final year they're going to be in the FCS. The final year they have a chance to win the FCS national championship and they want to go out uh, as champs right JMU, now. JMU Villanova final. Let's do it. That would be fun. And, and Villanova already beat JMU <laughs> once this year, even though they arguably shouldn't have. And, you know, we don't have to rehash all that, but that would be fun. That would be fun. A little CAA, <laughs> little final fuck you to the CAA after all of this. So, uh, thank you, as always, my friend. We will be back on Friday with, fingers crossed, our buddy Vito, who, after a month hiatus uh, of avoiding us and, and padding his stats so he doesn't have to pick games every week to make himself seem smarter than he is, uh, we will have Vito back on the pod. So for Scotty, I'm Jeff. Have a wonderful rest of your week. We will talk to you all on Friday. And as always, take it easy.